Welcome to Mavericks with Marty. I'm Marty Kodish, your host. And today I have with me two street artists, Jenna Rice and Doug Kaysen. We have a chance to talk extensively about what it's like to make a living as an artist and how difficult that can be. And we talk about the role of art. How uh, should it offend you or should it uh, please you? What is that role of artwork out there? You know what? I think that your artwork should offend at least somebody, you know, in order for it to have an impact. You know, I mean, like, you know, like uh, my professor in college, you know, he would always talk shit and he'd be like, yeah, all these conservative places and all one of these fucking flower paintings. Like, why do they want, you know, just just all flowers and butterflies and fields and whatever and, you know, landscapes. It's like, like, do, do some nudity, do some something crazy, do something kind of politically offensive, you know, um, it's not artwork unless it speaks for something or someone. And I, I feel like that's super important. And it, it, if our artwork is controlled one day for whatever reason, and we're told we can only paint this, this, and this, that, that will destroy our creative input and we're going to lose everything. I mean, I already knew the psychology, you know, that men were visual animals and women were situational. And I started seeing these, uh, uh, these people would post pictures and they were awful, awful photographs. And when I say people, I mean, women were posting these awful photographs, uh, seeking the male gaze out and like the flash would blow out the whole picture or there'd be toothpaste flecks all over the mirror. And I'm like, these are fascinating. And I love painting people. I mean, Mm -hmm. painting people is fun. Uh, and then the political stuff, yeah. I mean, I had a file uh, for the GOP headquarters in Washington County in Texas. They knew who I was by name, mm. had my address and my phone number. Wow. And it's all because I was just taking political signs and just you know using my vinyl cutter and changing things. We talk about what it's like to deal with haters and trolls out there. You know, when you're doing things that are out there and they're independent and you're 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 uh, challenging some different um, ideas and not conforming. You're going to get some uh, some haters out there, some trolls out there. And we talk about how people can misunderstand art sometimes. Now she's pointing out Jenna's all these symbols bread. and stuff, right? They say this is a doodle grid. They say but it's not just a doodle grid, okay? <laughs> These are what are called sigils. It's a form of magic, and it's demonic. So under this painting, they magic put, to get that lift spell. working a little bit more next time. I mean, come I'll, on. I'll try. Lift breaking really down over the there. You can't use your magic and Satan symbols to get it going. Into the occult, and I don't want to know. We have a chance to talk about what entices artists to the graffiti world. Um, I saw the street art scene here and how much it was blossoming. And I just, it just looked so exciting and and interesting. And I was an oil painter and acrylic painter at the time. And I was just like, man, I can do that in oil paint. I wonder if I could do that in spray. We talk about the importance of passing along information and how everyone starts out as a toy or newbie in street art. To teach them things like the different kinds of caps, um, the difference between a high pressure and a low pressure can, the things that you don't really know and don't really learn, like even short videos that explain little things um, can handling wise. Um, 
and just uh, about the different brands of paint and like my favorite brands of paint or the, the things that I use, um, how to scale a mural to a wall with a doodle grid. I already have a video of that. Um, and actually that has a ton of views. <laughs> it's not even that great of a video, but it's about the content. And we also talk about advice for Mavericks. What would be some advice you'd have for people? Y'all are both comfortable being independent and uh, not conforming with what other people expect mm. you to do and not, not just being in one little limited sphere where you're not uh, open to other ideas. What advice would you have for someone that wants to become a maverick that wants to be more independent and, and develop that uh, approach? Know your shit. Mm. I mean, quite honestly, like if you, if you got something to say, you need to research the hell out of it before you open your mouth. Uh, because you're like, we just said, you know, everybody's going to attack you from every corner. I mean, that, mm-hmm. That's what, undergrad and graduate school taught mm-hmm. me was, you know, how people dogging on me 24 seven until I could defend myself, uh, which I thought I was pretty good at before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's whatever your craft is, you learn it and you master live it, it, you master it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have your good argument, you know, and you know, when to back down, you know, when to say, I disagree, you know, when to say, I'm sorry, or I'm out of my element, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Humility is a great thing, but I think deep down the whole thing is if you don't know what you're doing uh, and you're going to engage in something that's controversial or on the edge or maverick behavior, uh, then you're going to get a lot of pushback that may be uncomfortable. So really, for me, it's know your shit. I'm Jenna Rice. Um, I am a an artist, a muralist in Greensboro, North Carolina, fine art background, as you said. Um, I'm originally from New England, um, went to college in Florida, moved here about six and a half years ago. Um, I saw the street art scene here and how much it was blossoming. And I just, it just looked so exciting and, and interesting. And I was an oil painter and acrylic painter at the time. And I was just like, man, I can do that in oil paint. I wonder if I could do that in spray. And, you know, I thought about it and I watched YouTube videos about spray painting for like literally like a year before I even touched a can because I was so scared to even try. And uh, I'm so glad that I finally picked up a can and I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to try it. Um, COVID COVID actually helped with that um, too. I was able to get more practice and stuff during COVID and able to do a lot more random projects and stuff and practice and get better. And yeah, here I am. Uh, I'm, I'm officially two full years into a uh, full-time street art. That's great. Excellent. Yeah. And Doug, I'm Doug Gason, also known as the Beta, and also known as the Reverend Wayne. And I moved here from Texas about four years ago. And I probably hadn't painted a mural in over 20 years back when it was just Rust-Oleum and uh, Krylon and Kmart, you know, brand. And, uh, coming to Greensboro, just looking around seeing everything on the walls. I'm like, well, man, I should be doing some of this. And uh, cold called Marty and he's like, oh yeah, I'll meet you. And uh, so we met up at uh, the brewery and started talking. He's like, well, yeah, I didn't see anything like this on the wall. Let's do it. I'm like, really? It's, it's that easy. We're just going to go with this. And he's like, yeah, why not? And I'm like, well, I'm not arguing. Let's do this. And so I've been you know, doing little odd things here and there yeah. and uh, having a great time with it. And you did that fun uh, pig head too. I did the fun pig head. Yeah. Got to so, get that, got to get that out uh, into the main view. 
So I haven't seen work like that before. You know, talk about that that type of art because it's um, it, it, is there. Did you have an inspiration for that or? Uh, okay. So or let's describe it first. So the artwork. So as the Reverend Wayne, uh, one of the things I do is I take taxidermy heads, uh, various animals that I find. And then I, Oh, coat them with a good hundred to you know, 150 coats of house paint. And then I sand it back down and it creates this uh, wonderful little uh, kind of swirl look on it. And then we got all the uh, stalactites from the paint drips. And uh, it began because I lived in Houston for so many years, and uh, that's you know number four in uh, the art market. And then I moved to a small town of sixteen thousand people. And how do you sell contemporary artwork mm-hmm. out in the country? And I, well, I wasn't, so I started co-opting what they had on their walls, which were uh, or just what they had as decor. You know, so everybody paints blue bonnets on cast irons and skillets. So I started playing with that. And then everybody has doilies that their grandmother made. So I started <laughs> playing with that. And then one day just somebody gave me a, a deer head and I'm like, yes, that, that's what I want to work with. And, uh, so just took it into the garage and just started painting it for about half a year, six months. And, uh, it worked and, uh, they're, they're quite popular. Had you ever seen anything like that before? What was the inspiration for it? Well, I can't say that there was really any inspiration. Um, I was just, this is what I had. I had gallons and gallons of paint, which again, oddly enough, I wasn't uh, a street painter, you know, a street artist at the time, but I had all this paint because I'd been using it for other things. And uh, I was just like, well, if I keep putting paint on it, surely it's going to do something. Uh, If you want to peg me down, there were these two artists out of Houston called the Art Guys. And they had this one uh, piece they did called A Thousand Coats of Paint. And they would take like a teddy bear and they'd paint it with a thousand coats of paint. And then they would cut it in half. And it was just the craziest thing to see all those layers of this built up paint. Oh, yeah. Uh, So there was a little bit of that uh, as an inspiration. But I hadn't seen anything other than Fordite. You know, Fordite, they would scrape the uh, floors of the uh, old factories in Detroit and then mm. throw those into rock tumblers and make these beautiful, you know, stone-like pieces of just layers of paint. That's cool. And so, yeah, those are like, you know, probably the only two things I had going into that. I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Let's see what it does. And then it turned out to be something that I liked very much. That's pretty cool. I mean, it really, yeah. you know, it's a neat piece. I, I've had limited experience with finding, like, you know, my farm I'll find some uh, skulls and things out there. Usually they just reek to high heaven. So did you get a cleaned up skull to start with or where did the skull come from? Well, no, that was an actual mount. It was a mount that was damaged. An artist friend of mine who knits sweaters for taxidermy, uh, she can't throw anything away. And she said, well, Doug, would you like this? Because I can't part with it. I can't throw it away. But if I give it to you, that's okay. My soul is okay if I give it to you. So I said, yeah, no, I'll take it. And this happened to be for the first time that we'd thrown on the Texas Art and Music Festival. And so she brings it up to me during the festival. And this is on that Saturday night when everybody's really lit. And I'm walking around with this buck with all these you know points on it. And this guy, he was like a perfect V, just all muscle and meat, turns around and impales himself on the, the antlers. And I'm like, oh, shit. And he looks down at me and I'm like, I'm about to get my ass kicked. And he's like, are you Okay. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm great. Are are you okay? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, I, I'm going home now. And so I took the mount home, and that was the end of that. <laughs> and we had the uh, the boar's head that I got right for pig pounder that was a little mangy. The hair was starting to fall off. It looked like that Ew. that animal had not. Uh, it, it was not well happy. Post, no. uh, 
post-mortem. No. And then <laughs> so I, it, I think the uh, the paint helped uh, hold it together a little it, bit better. It did. That. And I actually took, uh, I had some uh, javelina skulls. I'd made some other work where I was like etching into the skull. So I popped the, the tusks off and glued them onto there. So they would stick out just a little bit more. Nice. So um, we're probably making Jenna's stomach turn right now since she is a <laughs> vegan. And we're am. talking about dead mounted animals you know, on the wall yeah. and turning them into art. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I would take that um, that direction with my my art. <laughs> well, then I won't Personally. tell you about the, you know, the time that I actually had to boil a skull down because oh, that was re- that was really unpleasant. Ooh. Well, the skull part—that's I guess that's not as bad, you know. Like I, I have appreciation for the bone structure of humans and animals and things, and you know, right, I like then. the I like the anatomy of of things like that. You know, they, I took a lot of figure drawing cool. classes. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, what's the closest to painting a series of skulls or uh, some mm. sort of crazy? Uh, art project you've gotten into is it like um, a uh, head of lettuce that got paint over it oh i don't know oh, that actually <laughs> i don't know i don't know can you paint on vegetables i mean how long would that last <laughs> you'd have to i guess you'd have to find it because they they would become mush mm. you could maybe cast one first you probably could and then paint over it yeah you know i was i, I actually always thought about like you know taking my veganism to the next level and like doing like a series of vegetable paintings or something like that. Or cause like, you know, cause a lot of people might want to do like, you know, sad animal portraits where they, they look so sad. Like, why would you eat me? I'm so pretty and cute. And why would you, you know what I mean? Like, and so I thought about guilt- doing that and I was like, I was like, no, but that's just, that's just sad. I don't want to like spread <laughs> sadness throughout the world. I want like fun imagery that like uplifts people or just beautiful imagery. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, what projects have I gotten into that's crazy? I don't know. I, I do so many random things. I know um, you cover a lot of different projects. Yeah, there. I do. Um, I think it's my ADHD that kicks in and I'm just like, oh, that sounds really cool. Let me do that. And it's like, it's totally, you know, totally different from something that I would normally do. I don't know. I, it's like when I saw the spray paint, I was like, you know, that, that, that looks cool. It's like something I could do. But like, I really want to focus mostly on spray paint now and do that. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to answer that. I just, well, uh, now you've got the biggest wall you've ever done. Before, I do. Up in Eden, North Carolina. I do. And it's been taking me forever to finish it because I've had, I've had like various commissions throughout, you know, the time. And I was like, all right, well between commissions, I'll go there and I'll work on it. But then like every time I want to go, it's like snowing or raining or whatever. Um, North Carolina weather is crazy. Um, but I thought your spells, you know, from the demonic, uh, <laughs> You know, correct the weather for you. Oh, the crazy lady. Yeah. So, yeah. So the YouTube videos, (laughs) um, there was a, uh, I guess we should tell the background story. (laughs) Um, There there was a a woman uh, who lives in Eden, I guess. And Eden is a very conservative area from what I'm understanding. I mean, I don't know that much about it, but they don't have much art. I've heard that it's it's got the largest uh, number of churches per capita. Oh, really? uh, Interesting. uh, Wow, I didn't know that. But um, I'm not sure that woman came from Eden. She came from. I don't know where she came. Space, yeah, she was. She, uh, <laughs> she was <out> there. <laughs> she's from another planet, and she's like, uh, well, she didn't shout me out because I didn't have my name written out anywhere. I don't think at the time. And you know, she had seen my doodle grid, and and so what a doodle grid is is it's just a way that I can scale my design to the wall. 
And that's what I have to explain to people every time I wake, I make a mural, like the mural I'm painting right now currently. Um, you know, everybody that was passing by as I was first starting the mural, they're like, what are all these symbols for? It's like, it, they're just, and now I like to stick to just letters and numbers, you know, to not, and, and, and like triangles and, and okay. squares. And I like to stick to those particular things because like it won't be turned into something crazy, you know? Cause I used to do like all these weird little marks and swirls and stuff. And like, I'd paint like a little eyeball or something, you know, make it fun, a little smiley face, you know, whatever. And then, so I had like all these crazy symbols on the wall in Eden and this, this woman, she's, she's filming herself talking as she's like looking at the mural and she's like, this is a demonic presence here. She's, she's casting spells on on all of us and she's like the end is near and like things like that and it's like this is witchcraft and all sorts of things and i'm just like oh my gosh this is hilarious like she has no idea <laughs> she was definitely an interesting woman and uh i've somehow remained immune during that one yeah and I yeah um i guess i was just there at the right time um, thankfully i wasn't physically there when she was doing this because then i would have been like what is this crazy lady doing but anyway yeah so back to the doodle grid the doodle grid is a way, a way to scale to the wall no so that so that people can truly appreciate what we're talking about here i'll play a little sound oh my gosh Ooh. please do <laughs> this, this is from the end times truth revolution revelation is that what she says Okay, this is the very next painting, okay? So we just talked about the snake. Here's the next painting. And these paintings are still in progress. <laughs> Which, actually, you might be able to tell more about it because it's still in progress. They're looking at Jenna's artwork so, in this with the doodle grid up. see here, the machinery's in the way. But if you look at the face... Does that not look demonic just off the bat? She wasn't Jenny, you done gotta, yet. You gotta stop making Cassie look demonic on there. She wasn't done. Okay. And this is going to be painted over. Now she's pointing out Jenna's All these symbols grid. and stuff, right? They say this is a doodle grid. They say. But it's not just a doodle grid, okay? <laughs> these are what are called sigils. It's a form of magic and it's demonic. So under this painting, they magic to get that lift spell. working a little bit more next time. I mean, come I'll, on. I'll try. Lift really breaking down over the there. You can't use your magic and Satan symbols to get it going. Into the occult, and I don't want to know. If you have Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, and you put on the full armor of God, you will be protected. I didn't know I was a witch. I really There's didn't. But that's kind of exciting. Well, I didn't know Cassie was a demon. <laughs> And as and an ordained minister over here, the Reverend Wayne, Wayne approves. <laughs> okay. And just to show you that it's real. That it's real. One, you can see a bunch of sixes everywhere. Oh, put a bunch of sixes put in there. Put a bunch of sixes. Right there. There it is again. The I don't use the number guy. six anymore in my doodle grids because of this lady. Antichrist. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> I know. I just don't want people to think weird things. Whereas I do. There's an upside down <laughs> butterfly, which represents... Monarch MK Ultra Mind Control, which is a mind Monarch control. Ultra Mind That's Control. All these celebrities and stuff do what they I need do. to look into this. Uh, all these celebrities do it. <laughs> Again, you may not believe me. It's like an Illuminati touching. Like, <laughs> pray about it. I think she thinks that Ask, any. Don't just write me off like you're trained to do. We're grown. We're we grow up in the world that, and we're trained to just immediately dismiss this stuff. But pray about it. 
Okay. We'll pray for <laughs> mental health resources to reach out to her for sure. Eating the apple, oh tempted goodness. by Satan, making a demonic face in this whole thing. Supposedly. Making a demonic <laughs> face. A You're going to give Cassie a, uh, a complex, okay. I think, with a right? demonic portrayal. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, I told Mar- I told Barney the next day, I was like, I was, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there in like a cloak and like I'm going to have like a cloak and a hat and like <laughs> dress like a witch just to scare her, you know, if she comes back. But like now it's like even when I go there out there now and, and work on the painting, which I'm still working, it's 150 feet long, about like what, 45 feet high or something like that. Probably 40, some sort of 40, 40 feet high, satanic dimensions there. The satanic dimensions that I'm working on apparently. And it's just so I keep going back and forth because, you know working on multiple things at the same time. And also I kind of like how it's taken me so long to work on it because I've gotten better since I started it and I know this and I can feel it. So like now when I know I go, I, when I go back to actually finish it, like it's really going to look better than it would have months ago, which is cool. But, um, but yeah, so the, back to the doodle grid. So as I scale my design to the wall, so you, so you scribble all of these random things all over the wall. They have no meaning whatsoever. People are like, what does that mean? It means nothing. Scribble whatever you want. You can even write your name. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, And then you take your design from, like, say, your iPad, like I do. um, And you overlay your design on top of the image of the wall with the scribbles all over it. And then you lower the opacity of the the design image so that you can see through it. And you can actually see all those mark makings that you made. And so that actually helps you find your dimensions. So, like, say, like, you want to find, like, where does the side of the face begin? And you'll know because it's right by that Z and that that X and that, you know. Six. Six. <laughs> it goes right through the six. You know, yeah. So that's what that is. But, yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I've watched a lot of different artists use different techniques for that. So some people will use, let's say, projection and mm-hmm. they'll do a trace. So right. they'll project up on a wall that's mm-hmm. harder with the, the really big walls. But project yeah. up and then do an outline and trace around it to get part of the image. Mm-hmm. Some people use the doodle grid out mm-hmm. there. Um, Adnate actually used an interesting technique. He would take a roller with some paint on it and just make random marks mm-hmm. with the roller up and down the wall. It was a very quick doodle grid. Mm. And so he would just turn the the handle of the roller mm. so that it would, you know, part of it might be heavy on one side or light on the other. So it wasn't consistent and he knew where to look for that oh. and where it would hit on there. Well, I mean, yeah, any mark making, yeah. you know, behind it would, would work, you know, it's kind of like having like, like a brick wall, but a smaller brick wall, of course, you know, cause you can tell which, which, which line goes through which brick, that sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. yeah so any cracks sure in the wall help, you know, <laughs> the eye in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is the right spot. Gotta make sure you don't want right to make it look demonic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like I really focused on fixing her face after that. I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> she wasn't done. Uh, so, um, Doug, what have you used for your, uh, doodle grid or what, uh, what system are you using right now? I would like to say that I, use a doodle grid because that sounds much faster than what I do. Uh, but I use an old school uh, overhead projector, mm. uh, like with transparent, mm-hmm. I put a transparency up there and then I just quickly block in certain areas. And then uh, I'll either have my phone in my hand mm-hmm. or just a simple little uh, colored printout. Uh, and then a lot of it's just like, well, 
shit, I can't tell what that is. Let's just make something up mm-hmm. and go with it from there. Because uh, those who aren't familiar with you know, what I what I do, my stuff tends to have kind of a swirl to it. So I have mm-hmm. a, an open area of ambiguity that I can play around with. So if I really screw something up, it's like, well, let's just swirl this a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and then it blends <laughs> cool. in and it's fine. It's like drunk history, right? Ah, oh, drunk history uh, is the best. That is funny. So uh, talk a little bit more about your swirl technique because that you, you you have an, a reason for that. I and do some have people a, don't understand why. I do, I do have a reason for it. So I don't consider myself a really good storyteller. Uh, and it's like one of those things where it's like I really wish that I could tell stories and people like come up like, oh, shit, that guy's telling a story. Let's go and listen to this guy <laughs> tell a story. So I, I tried to paint them and uh, I kept you know coming up kind of short. Like I'd make these really long, like half a page titles uh, and trying to be clever with that. And it just, it still was just falling flat for me. And then just one summer I was sitting around just with a, a ink and a brush and just kind of started doodling and uh, looking at these old Rembrandt sketches. And I'm like, there's all this stuff that's in his drawings that just don't make sense. And I kind of like that. So then I was like, all right, let's play with this for a little bit. So I started, you know, just playing with just the brush and swirling. And then I went over to my computer and I'm like, well, they make filters that do this. Let's play with those. So I started playing with them. And uh, as I started going in and uh, actually taking an original image and then uh, twisting it and enlarging it and flipping it and just manipulating as much as I could on the computer, then I was like, okay, there's some gray area in here that's Nobody knows what it is. And so that's the best thing for telling a story. Because uh, what I generally do is I research something to death. Uh, and then I f- start thinking about, well, where are the holes in this story? And then I would go in and make my work based on the holes in the story. And I think in some artist statement somewhere, I said, I work in the gray area of history. The stuff where, you know, like I could get up out of this chair right now and go punch Marty and everybody would be like, that instant I hit him is reality, but everybody be like, well, why did he hit Marty? Well, he had too much to drink. He had too much coffee, he, whatever. He's, he's, his allergies, uh, he had a psychotic break, but they'd make up all these stories as to why I would do it. But it was like that moment was the actual history. And so like as a little kid, I remember we had a, a world book encyclopedia from 69 and 73 and as a little kid, like five, six, seven, and eight, I would grab these things and I would just read them. And I remember, you know, reading a, uh, you know, something in one. Like, let's say, let's read about the Tyrannosaurus Rex in one, and then go read in the other one. It's like, well, there's, it's different. It's shorter or it's longer. And I, I couldn't figure that out as a kid. You know, why is one story in the exact same book different than it is in this one? It's because there's no way we can have all the information at once. In fact. Uh, there's the French uh, writer Diderot who actually tried to make this uh, encyclopedia that everything could fit into. And it was already obsolete by the time it was pressed. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what I love. I love the fact that we can sit here and keep telling each other the history or what's going on in the world today. And we might think we're a scholar and I've had arguments with uh, professors of history in Houston that say, no, you can't condense history like you're doing, you know, whenever you're telling people about this, but like, but it's kind of true, you know, it's just this, it's fluid. And Uh, that's your primary street art style right now. It is. It is. And you've got the piece in Eden, the um, Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. Right. You've got the battle of Guilford, both at the art park and at red cinemas. Right. And then you have a fourth piece 
out in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And then I just did the straight religious one uh, in Eden as well. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. The um, um, Sistine Chapel type. Uh, yeah. And, and what was the reference photo for that one? Uh, it was actually a, bar- a Baroque uh, painting um, from uh, Il Jassu. And uh, uh, oh, I got it all messed up. So I, I, I projected it and I was having a bad night because uh, I think whenever I was doing it, everybody was out there painting mm-hmm. and nobody, you know, nobody knew what to do with all the lifts. So they weren't plugging them in. So they're like, it was like this weird apocalypse with all these lifts out just yeah. in the middle of parking lots that wouldn't run anymore. Uh, so I got out there and uh, my uh, transparency was backwards and upside down and then I got it right side up and then uh, everything that I was going to use to mark it on there stopped working. And another artist just drove by and he's like, oh man, I got you. And he gave me these uh, acrylic markers. And so I was like, all right, I got enough on there. And so it was just like this nightmare start for me. Um, so when I look at it historically for what it is, I, you know, I, I put my head down because it's, it's not <laughs> Il Jassu. Uh, but when I, when I turn that part of my brain off, I look at it and I'm like, that's not so bad. It's pretty good. I like it. Because you had the same criticism of your piece by the same woman, the, the original piece. Oh, she, she's talked. I didn't know she talked about mine. I think she did. Did she? Oh, did I guess th- she did. Well, if she did, then. I think she might have. Because I know she had, I think, four started off. Mm-hmm. And she went over Aaron's. I yeah, think. she talked about Aaron's snake that yeah. you painted first. And she talked about the Eve gene. So, yep. Of Roman. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, really. <laughs> and then she talked about. This uh, is great. Oh, gosh. For the two angels. Uh, oh. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Jaleel. Jaleel. Yeah. Jaleel Ronan. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't get yours there. I think that was a, a whole other Facebook thread <laughs> where they were talking. About. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Facebook probably. thread's great. You, you had your, yeah. you had your uh, nice trolls out there on that piece, too. <sighs> I don't get so, enough trolls. On I'm this. almost sad my name was never mentioned in this, honestly. <laughs> so speaking of which, I mean, you know, when you're doing things that are out there and they're independent and you're, you're, you're uh, challenging some different um, ideas and not conforming, you're going to get some, uh, some haters out there, some trolls out there. Oh yeah. So, oh, absolutely. so Jenna, let's hear about your, uh, your <laughs> trolls out there. Who yeah. are they? What sort of pushback do you get? Um, you also can get some, when you're doing something, doing something unique and doing well, you can get kind of a, a jealousy uh, yeah, uh, that occurs too. Yeah, you know, over the past couple of years, um, as I've become more successful in what I'm doing, um, there were some people that were my friends, you know, long ago um, before I started doing this. And uh once I started to, I guess, become a little more successful than them, then they just kind of started treating me differently and kind of not inviting me to things and stuff. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Like what's going on? And, you know, um, so eventually I just kind of let it go and, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, like, uh, cause you know, I got a bunch of attention from a couple, a few different things. Um, I did a nurse painting during the whole uh, pandemic and it was towards the beginning of the pandemic and I was really bored. Um, and I just really wanted to practice spray paint. And the only 
the only thing I had spray painted, the only person that I had spray painted before that was uh, the M&M piece at Pig Pounder. That was my first human portrait I ever attempted, which now that I look at that, I think it looks like shit. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> and people are like, no, I love it. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't love it. I'm going to paint something better right over it. <laughs> so I already have plans for that. But um, I know I can do so much better now. So, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, so I decided to go out to the pit in High Point um, and I went out with, you know, couple people, a couple other artists. Um, and I didn't really know what to paint until like that morning, you know, I was looking on my phone and I was like, all right, maybe I'll do something of a nurse since, you know, like they're working really hard, you know, all this craziness is going on. They're having to deal with so much. And, you know, I had uh, one of my old roommates and best friend of mine, uh, Renee in Florida. She, uh, she's a nurse and I knew that she was probably going through a lot. And I was like, let me do a little tribute for the nurses or not just the nurses, but the healthcare industry in general. For the healthcare workers. And so I found this lovely image on Google of a, a nurse and like her eyes were really pretty. And it was just like a really clear image of like, you know, her and it's like half her face was kind of in the dark. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of nice. Cause it's kind of the, there were like the light in the dark kind of thing. So I named it the light. I painted, um, you know, this nurse face and, you know, so I painted, so we went there actually two days. The first day I just kind of primed and we kind of like you know, talked and messed around and just kind of like buffed over some, some shit and whatever. And then we went back the next day. I spent eight hours painting this nurse and took some photos of it, whatever, popped them online, went to bed, woke up at like 7am, my phone's blowing up and I'm like, what is going on? You know? And, uh, so like I had all these different news, um, like news channels contacting me, reporters calling me, um, I had my, my phone was like my Instagram and Facebook, everything was blown up. People contacted me from all over saying, Oh, this is so amazing. Where is this? Where can I do? You know, I was like, Oh my God, this kind of got to the point of overwhelm for me. I was like, I'm not used to having this much attention, but yeah, I was uh, being alongside a couple, um, a couple people or one person in particular, uh, it didn't really sit with her very well. So, you know, it kind of sucks that, um, I would I would say she's now she she would now be considered a hater of mine for sure. You know, it's unfortunate that happens and I think that you know one of the things that I note about um people that I enjoy spending time around is they're always striving to be better. Like you're talking about looking yeah. back and saying, "Hey, I you know, I painted this piece, but now I think it looks like crap." Or yeah. I worked on this piece, but I kind of messed up on this process. Mm -hmm. And it's that self-awareness and self-improvement that mm -hmm. I think allows people to kind of get to that next level mm -hmm. um, and keep growing. I know um, Jex does that as well, mm -hmm. where he's constantly working to, you know, improve his skills. And, right. You know, I, I do that. You know, I'm trying this podcast out and trying out video. I always feel like each year you need to be learning something new mm -hmm. or improving your skill set. Otherwise you're just stagnant. Yeah. Um, and I think when you're doing a lot of new things like that and pushing the limits and achieving success, you're going to draw, like you said, media attention and mm -hmm. people saying, wow, this is cool. But when that happens, it can make others sometimes feel like, well, why are they getting all the mm -hmm. um, attention and why am I not getting what I, what I deserve? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I see that a lot in, in the art world. Mm -hmm. um, some people wanting instant success not willing to put in the hours, not willing to train. Yeah. And uh, then they're frustrated when they, they don't get it. Um, and especially in graph. I mean, that, that really oh, yeah. just. It's a slow process. You know, learning spray paint is so frustrating. 
Like I, I can't tell you how many times I cussed at myself while I was trying to <laughs> figure out spray paint. I was like, this is supposed to be transparent black. Why is it, why is it coming out like this? And it was, I was just spraying it wrong. I was using the wrong caps. I was using the wrong technique. I wasn't, you know, there's so many different things that are involved in spray paint and like getting can handling right. And I, I still, I still think I'm shit. Like, which is great because I always want to improve myself. As you said, you know, I always want to, you know, get better. Um, I want to get faster really because I'm a perfectionist. And so like, I'm trying to push past that as much as possible, but, um, but yeah, I want to get faster. I want to get better. I want to get that technique down, you know, you know, I, when I was over in uh, the Netherlands, uh, in January, and had a chance to go to the street art museum. Yeah. And they were gracious enough to let me paint on a couple of their walls. So there. Cool. Um, and I did that not because I had a burning desire to paint, but because I had a burning desire to better understand y'all's process. And also what would it be like in another country, not speaking the language, not knowing where you're going, trying to organize everything and really having all that stuff lined up, having your paint, having your ladder, having all your gloves mm-hmm. and everything else tackled for you and ready and at the site and secured and the wall buffed um, really makes, I think, a world of difference. And so it gave me a greater appreciation for that. Also, you're sitting there at the wall. You've just buffed out this nice mm-hmm. area. You don't really want to leave because you leave and somebody's like, ha ha, you know, now <laughs> yeah. I've got a, a great spot to paint. Mm-hmm. You have to um, hold your pee a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> And I was out there, it was freezing cold. And, um, you know, my piece lasted all of a day. You know, the next day there's these two girls that had never even painted before that are painting over, cutting over one of my pieces Mm -hmm. uh, on half of it. And I was like, that's just, that's the way art is. And Mm -hmm. that's what I like about street art too, is it's ephemeral and meant to be enjoyed in the moment. Now, of course you would like for your piece to stay up so that others can see it, but no, now that's part of you've got to take a photo, mm-hmm. but you never know unless yeah. it's a kind of a guaranteed wall, uh, which is what what I try and do with mine is those are protected walls because they're permission walls, mm-hmm. but um, still just painting in the pit. Yeah, you could be painting it, over the next day. Exactly, and uh, you know that that happens a lot at the pit. It's it's, it's all transient. It's all transient art, you know. Um, but my my nurse painting actually, I guess people really liked it so much. It was up for like three months before it was tagged. Oh, not bad. Yeah, um, which was really really cool. Um, but yeah, one of the reasons why so and so, I'm not going to name who it was, but um, is a hater of mine. Um, hers was painted over the next day, and hers was painted like a couple pieces down from mine, you know, at the pit you know, the same. And mine was up there for like three months, three months. So it's, I think that's a record for the pit. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's quality. So if you're painting a high quality piece, it tends to stay up longer. People appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And then also it can be messaging or content too. Mm -hmm. that can help with that. I think she has a hater, you know, from I it's, it's gotta be somebody in particular. Cause it's like, apparently this particular person has like a very particular signature or something that they say over her stuff. And it's like, they know it's hers. And so they try to tag over her stuff. So it's like, everybody has a hater of some sort. Abstract <laughs> descent has that, you know, I was going to, yeah, with the art part, I love when him. I was, when I was doing that, I thought, Oh, well I'll do it like a, you know, open walls. People can come in and paint whatever they want. And then I went down to Salisbury and saw the art park where he mm. normally paints and, and you see these nice pieces <laughs> and like, several hours later they're painted over yeah and then it looks like crap yeah um, it's a mess it's not out even, there 
not even someone that's learning. It's someone just wanting to destroy. And I, I just can't get that mindset. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Like, you know, because they'll just tag like dumb stuff or just put X's over things. Right. I'm like, well, like, can you find something better to do with your time? Well, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like when I was commissioning all these uh, artists to come in and paint at the Texas Art and Music Festival, I remember sitting around and talking to one of them. And uh, at that time, you know, my knowledge of street art was pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd been year. I mean, I'd studied as far as, you know, who was coming out of West coast and whatnot. But if you asked me, you know, like all the, you know, the pantheon of names that Marty has in his memory bank, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have no idea who the hell you're talking about. But <laughs> so I would sit there and I would talk to these artists and just, you know, eat up everything that they said. And I remember this one kid, uh, young guy, uh, out of Austin and said, well, you know, there's there's an etiquette out there. And he said, not everybody follows it. He said, but you shouldn't touch somebody else's piece unless you can do better. Yes, that that's that's technically the rule. Um, also, they say you're supposed to take a photo of it and shout them out, you know, on, uh, on the on the Internet, you know, before, you know, before you paint over it. You know, that's that's what they say. Graffiti world uh, YouTube videos that I watch. You know, that's what they told me. That's what they this told is me. what I hear. That's what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. And if you're going to paint over it, you're supposed to buff the whole piece. Not, yes. Not do it. You can never buff half yeah. half the piece. If you buff half a piece, that's like, um, that's kind of like a punch in the face. You know, it's kind of like a, like, Is a, like a jab. Okay. It's like a jab. It's, See, it's, it's like, I it's would, like a diss. It's like I, a diss to that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See, whereas me, if it were, if I were painting over somebody's pieces, like I'd want certain elements to shine through. Cause I mm-hmm. want the, you know, I want the history right. of what was on that wall yeah, to come no. through into my piece. Yeah, that would piss some people off probably. No, it's well, funny it's... out back here where Ramon did the Where the Wild Things Are. <gasps> yeah. I actually, you know, before I had that reserved for him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jackson, Overt, and Grover yeah. were going to paint back there. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to paint on the raw concrete. And I said, well, just so you know, Ramon is going to come back and paint this other piece right. back here. And I said, and would you mind if he painted and cut into your piece and left some of the letters in there? And because it was intentional and they knew that he would work around it and work with the piece, they were fine with that. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a really strong piece. It came out really nice. But that's with the permission of all the artists involved instead of, you know, it's not. If they'd said, no, we want it, you know, buffed over them, that's what we would have done. Well, good to know. I'm 51 and still learning. Yeah, so you can check with the other artists and see what they want. There you go. Okay. So, you know, the the theme of this podcast is Mavericks. And so the idea of being independent, I almost think that anyone that's chosen an artistic endeavor to Mm -hmm. pursue has probably faced a lot of, well, why don't you get a real job? Or why Mm -hmm. don't you, you know, go into business or nursing or become a doctor or a lawyer out there? Did y'all face any of that uh, as you were growing up that uh, your parents were kind of directing you to pursue um, kind of a, uh, a real, real career? You know, because a lot of times people talk about the starving mm, artist out there. or the. I'm going to say yes, no. Uh, my mother, who turns 95 this year, mm. has been very good about encouraging me to be who I want to be. Or, you know, she's never said, you know, to the, my recollection, don't do that. Uh, but she's also come out and said, well, when are you going to start making real art, you know, like a landscape or something? <laughs> so <laughs> I know she doesn't like what I do, uh, but she's very proud of me for what I do. Uh, I think the only thing I may have had, uh, now was, backing up a minute, did you say how 
You said your mother was 95? Yeah, she's well, she's going to be 95 in May. Still yeah. independent, still driving. Just passed her driver's test when we moved here to North Carolina four years ago. Uh, when she was 90, I think she was 92 at the time. And she hadn't taken that test since she was 16. <laughs> and she passed, you know. Uh, well, her, that bodes extremely well for you. Yeah, with, good genes. Uh, good genes, Good yeah. genes, yeah. But so she had to have had you kind of later in life as well then. Uh, uh, yes, I was an accident. Uh, possibly a Valentine's baby. I'm not, <laughs> I haven't really done the uh, the check back. But yeah, uh, I think the my youngest sibling is 10 years older than me. And my oldest sibling is 20 years older than me. Wow. And then as of this last year, I became a great, great uncle on oh. my birthday. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. Growing up yeah. an uncle with you know, my niece and nephew in high school. Uh, so everybody just jokingly calling me Uncle Doug. <laughs> That's hilarious. Great, great, un- great, great uncle. Great, wow. great Uncle Doug. Yeah. <laughs> I would be happy to make it to be a great, great uncle one day, but to be a great, great <laughs> uncle now. So you're likely to be a great, great, great uncle you before know, I, you kick I, the bucket. I don't, right? I don't want to wish, you know, too much on that because, you know, <laughs> I don't know what somebody's life plan is going to be being that, you know, little Charlotte is you know, not even a year old. But, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. You know? That would be. Yeah. Now I forgot what I was even asking because that was just so surprising. Oh, uh, you were asking about did we get any kind of kickback? Oh, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. And so I said the, the only time I think – and. Yeah, I love my brother. My brother's been very good, a very strong supporter of mine uh, for years. But I know when I started out, he kept saying, Doug, you need to take more business classes. And I'm like, they, they make my stomach churn. It's like, I'm not you. He's, he's very type A. And so like he loves, loves, loves the art of negotiation. And I've grown to love it. But back then, it's like, I can't sit around doing numbers and stuff like that. It just, mm. yeah, at that point, I was way too much of a hippie. And then, you know, my punk rocker kind of kicked back in again. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I could do that. I can do whatever I need to do. So in your career um, over the years, um, what other jobs have you had? Or what, you know, how prominent has art been? When did you become kind of a, a full-time um well, artist. Uh, I don't know if you can, I can even call myself a full-time artist today uh, just because, you know, it's, I think we're all shucking and jiving to try to, you know, get that one next step up. Uh, yeah. I served coffee. I've served ice cream. I worked at a Kmart for a summer. Uh, that was awful. <laughs> worked at Arby's for like a month. That was awful. Uh and then, you know, I started teaching. And then when I was teaching, I was teaching art. Uh, so that put me back in the game. And then uh, just, you know, I don't sleep much. So I make a lot of art. And when did you start teaching? I think it was uh, in 96. Uh, I was, so that's a while. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been yeah. a while. And uh, started with high school, then went to middle school, then. You were only a great school. uncle then. Not a great, great uncle probably then. Uh, 96. Or maybe yeah, just yeah. an uncle then. <laughs> no, I think I was a great uncle by then. Yeah. yeah that's time. I, I have a hard time with calendars. My kids <laughs> give me a hard time because we'll go to like CVS to get their uh, prescription. It'll say birthday. And I'll turn and look at them like, dad, I'm like, I, I wouldn't remember my own birthday if you guys didn't mm. show up with a cake. <laughs> and Jenna, you've just made the transition to yes. full-time artist a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. before that, uh, 
I know you worked at Bearded Goat mm-hmm. and were in bartending. Mm-hmm. Other other gigs along the way, and and what did people think about you going into the? Uh, yeah, well, um, I I was very very blessed um, to have come from such an artist supportive family. Um, so so actually, I come from a family of artists essentially. Um, in, in a way, uh, just my parents, really, uh, not really their parents or anything. I don't know really where it came from, but um, my, I, I'm, a, I'm a Hasbro kid. Uh, when I was a kid, my uh, like a really little kid, um, we lived in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, because my dad worked for Hasbro. Um, he actually started to be a graphic designer before graphic design was a thing. Oh, wow. um, so he actually ha- used to hand draw the packaging for Hasbro. So like all the old school, like uh, old school GI Joe packaging and stuff. My dad used to hand draw that for the packaging That's so um, cool. back in like the eighties and stuff, you know? Um, and so like he had his little drafting table downstairs where I had all my Hasbro toys and stuff that he would get for free from like designing the packaging and everything. It was really cool. Um, does he still have those original sketches and drawings? He does do have. Stay? He does have some. Yeah, I'm sure he does. I, I'm absolutely sure he does. That would be to do a show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know that would that. be really fun. I wonder if uh, Hasbro has like copyrighted some of that or like what the deal with that might be. He still does some work for Hasbro now. Um, he works for Packaging Consultants in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and he's been there for. I don't know, 25 years or something. Um, he's been there for a long time. So after Hasbro, that's where he went and he's been there ever since. And um, so of course he learned all the computer stuff. And so now he does all like graphic design type stuff. And he's more of like management at this point. Like he's, um, he doesn't do as much of the designing as he would probably like to. And he's very talented. Um, he's done work for uh, you know, the shiny, the shiny packaging on the title of golf balls. Yeah. Like he designed those. Oh, neat. Um, he uh, he does like Foot Joy, Titleist, uh, Yankee Candle. Um, he still does some stuff for Hasbro here and there. So like companies from all over the world will will come to this company and have them, you know, produce their their packaging for them and stuff. So he actually taught me how to draw at a very very young age. Um, he knew some people that like worked for some comic books or whatever. So, so he gave me all these Marvel comic book drawing books when I was like a kid, and I remember sitting there and just like trying to draw these superheroes and stuff and um, just trying to get like the anatomy right and everything. And, uh, you know, middle school or whatever, I'm drawing these things. And um, so, yeah, he, he taught me how to draw the figure and, and things like that at a very young age. And so it kind of brought me to where I am now, but I never thought I'd be a full-time artist. Um, I ha- I've had various jobs. Um, I was actually um, overall, I was a bartender for like 12 years. Um, and I was getting so tired of it. Um, I loved working at the bearded goat. Honestly, that was hands down my favorite bar that I ever worked at. Um, it was just uh, very fitting for me. It was very chill vibe, um, very hipsterish, you know, kind of fun atmosphere with like a great whiskey selection. And, um, it was just, a. it was a nice, I would say dive bar, but it's nicer than a dive bar. I don't know how you would describe it. I mean, Marty, you've been there. So yeah. 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 Um, but a bougie uh, dive bar. A bougie dive bar, yeah, with a really nice patio with pink, picnic tables and and street art outside too. So I I painted on uh, some of their some of their patio walls and things too. Um, and uh, so she, I grew up with like a mother who was kind of like I like to tell tell people she's like Martha Stewart without the jail time, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> um, you know she's you know the all the little crafty things I grew up doing with her and and. Uh, 
you know, so, I mean, when I decided to go full time, of course they, they were a little bit, you know, like maybe a little bit worried, but, but at the same time, it's like my mom always told me, she's like, Jen, I don't know. You always figure it out. They just trust me to just figure it out because I always do. I don't know how (laughs) they're like, Jen, don't yeah. Jen, Jen just figures it out. I don't worry about her, you know? So, um, we need to have you do a mural with your dad mm. and do like a G.I. Joe package, kind of like the uh, oh, Leon that would be awesome. style. Oh, yeah. that'd be cool. And do that 3D where you're kind of looking in. Yeah, that'd like be neat. Box. That would and be neat. And then he would know the perspective of all the different design on the box to kind mm-hmm. of go around. Yeah, we could do like a whole like Trump Deloy, you know, yeah. mural where it's like, you know, it can look super 3D, fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, and I, I've been trying to get him to come come down here and visit again. I mean, I, I really, I've only gotten to see him maybe like once a year over the past several years because, you know, he's in Massachusetts. I'm working all the time. He has to work all the time and everything, so. You know, a, a really cool nod right now that would be relevant would be the uh, president of Ukraine as mm. like G.I. Joe. Oh. And then the, the box in there. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be a fun one. That would be a fun one. Oh, I need to. I need to break some time. Get some time in my schedule. I have so many projects <laughs> coming up, and there. I just have all these ideas for all these things I want to do. But I just have so many different projects coming up, and all these different clients wanting different things. And I'm like, I'm like, I can fit you in in like six months, maybe. I don't know. And they're like, really that long? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know? So you're doing a a ton of commissions right now. Yeah, like. you're on my list too. You know, obviously <laughs> to finish the Eden one is a top priority. It's one of my top priorities right now. Um, and then we still have the uh, Marie Antoinette that we want to do oh, eating yeah. the cake. You know, we took pictures of Cassie, you know, um, smashing cake into her face, you know, the Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake kind of thing. Um, but that's what I want to paint over the M&M at Pig Pounder. And I used one of those reference images for a let them eat cupcakes and drink whiskey uh, party mm. that we did down at ICSC Charlotte. That's fun. That, That's uh, really cool. That has her there doing that, and then you get the whiskey overlay on mm-hmm. it. So. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I'm I'm really um I'm really grateful to have a very supportive family. Um, also, my brother's an artist too, in several different senses. My brother's a genius, really. Um, but um, he's mixing some music for my YouTube channel now. Um, I'm coming up with like kind of like a trailer video for it. Um, it's Jenna Rice Art on YouTube. Um, now that's the one that you're doing. That's like. 50 or 100 yes. episodes you're going to do? Yeah. Have you heard so, about this dog? Just today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so I actually won a grant from the North Carolina Arts Council this year. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm so, I was really excited. Um, yeah. I just spent like six hours one day putting together this proposal. And I was like, I don't know if they're going to accept this. I was like, this is a little absurd, you know, to, to say that, you know, I want to, you know, for the grant, you know, I want to my project to be for a YouTube channel, but um, there really is kind of a void. And and actually over the past couple of years, there's not as much of a void now, but a couple of years ago, there was a huge void in the YouTube world on spray paint art videos. And I know this because I would research it all the time because I was just trying to learn. And there are little things that are just not, not taught very well by certain YouTubers or um, taught incorrectly or, it's hard to understand what they mean when they say things. And I'm just like, oh, maybe I, can, 
I could teach this a little bit better. I love to teach. I love to teach people how to do things. I have an intern right now from UNCG. I'm teaching her some stuff and she's really enjoying it and learning a lot. Um, uh, she, she's very motivated kid and I'm very, very proud of her for like working so hard to try to, she, she's trying to be me. I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I'm going to teach, uh, so it's going to be a series of uh, 50 videos throughout the year and I'm still, um, filming and editing some now I haven't dropped, um, any over the past month or so I've been catching up on my commissions. And as soon as that's done, then, you know, I'm going to start um, putting these out, but I do have, um, a schedule of my, my YouTube stuff for myself to do, to keep me on track, but, um, to teach them things like the different kinds of caps, um, the difference between a high pressure and a low pressure can, the things that you don't really know and don't really learn, like even short videos that explain little things, um, can handling wise. Um, and just uh, about the different brands of paint and like my favorite brands of paint or the, the things that I use, um, how to, scale a mural to a wall with a doodle grid. I already have a video of that. Um, and actually that has a ton of views. <laughs> it's not even that great of a video, but it's about the content. It's not necessarily about the, the quality. Well, like you said, I think people are trying to learn this new medium and a mm-hmm. lot of people coming from uh, more of a fine art background mm-hmm. sometimes. And so they may never have held a can before and they don't right. even know, do I go buy it at home Depot or where do mm-hmm. I buy the cans? Um, like where to buy the cans, like the different websites you can buy from that sort of thing. I want to eventually um, with these 50 videos, uh, it's going to make me more consistent on YouTube too. And once I'm more consistent on YouTube, then, then I'll get a, a larger following. I have over a thousand subscribers on, on YouTube right now, which is, it's pretty good for start. That's not bad. Yeah. For a start, that's not bad. And it's, it keeps growing. Like I haven't looked at it in over a week. So like, who knows? Like I could have like 1100 or something. I don't know. How many, um, how many different videos have you posted so far? Um, God, I, I don't know, like maybe 20, okay, like not, not very many, but this has been like 20 videos over the past, like, I don't know, three years. So it's been, it's been a long time, but most of my older videos are of like acrylic paintings and uh, painting value with color and mm. things like that. You know, uh, painting my colorful abs- abstract portraits that I do. Like I have that one of Bill Murray that's hanging at common grounds and in, in Greensboro that a lot of people uh, know and love. Um, and uh, that's like one of my favorites for sure. And uh, so I was just at Common Grounds yesterday and I got to see him in person again. So that was nice. You know, uh, Peter Draws that did the, uh, he did all the um, doodles mm-hmm. in the restrooms at Pig Pounder. Mm-hmm. And he has a massive following. I think he's oh, like he a does. million followers on yes, YouTube. Yes, yes. Um, and he's very consistent. On, on, on YouTube and I need to start doing that. And he's showing people what to do. So they're kind of watching along and Mm -hmm. they're drawing along too. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really neat. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see us do more of that. Some, I think a couple of things we're missing in Greensboro right now are street art tours. Uh, if mm. we could get some tours going where people are brought around. And yes, I was just thinking about that work. yesterday. <laughs> and then I think some classes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I really would love to do some classes. I, like, I think that that would be fun. And actually that's part of my um, my deal with the North Carolina Arts Council. I said I'm going to teach a free class at like a community college or somewhere nearby. I originally said high school and I was thinking to myself, I was like, well, if they're not 18 yet, they technically aren't allowed to use spray cans unless they get, I guess, parental permission or something because you have to be 18 and up to buy the cans. If only we knew someone that knew something about uh, teaching art. I know. Well, see, this is funny because (laughs) I just, uh, I'd won a grant 
to uh, at uh, Guilford Tech mm-hmm. to uh, basically introduce uh, a street art program. Oh, cool! Because of the fact that you know, yeah, because of the fact that you know, it's it's so super hot. Everybody wants to know how to do it now, and nobody knows how to do it. Right. And so I wrote this grant out with artist stipends to bring mm-hmm. people in, talk to a couple of artists. I'm not going to talk to you after yeah. this podcast. Uh, but then it got caught up in red tape. Mm. Uh, but I know that the college still wants to do it. Right. The idea that we could be like one of the forerunners in the community college and college world as yes. far as educating for street art. Mm-hmm. Uh, has everybody excited? We just got to, you know, do all yeah. the paperwork. Still. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My grant got put on hold, mm. and uh, we'll have to uh, hit that again later. I mean, we've we got all our paperwork in now. I think it's just we have to sit in a room with everybody. But, right. It's a but waiting yes. game. But, yeah, I, I'm, I think that's a great idea, you know, because there's no formal training for this. People are like, did you go to college for street art? And I was like, no. Is that, I don't think that's a thing. You know, like, right. I have my degree in oil painting, though. I have my BFA in studio art, you know. Like, right. Um but yeah. it's interesting. So you take y'all's background more in fine art and training mm-hmm. and um, and study. And then you take um, Jack's and mm-hmm. no background right. in art like that. I think he, he said he took like an AP class back when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's been all more graph driven. We're going out painting and, and does did the same thing more um, going out tagging as well. So in the graffiti world, um, y'all are running across different people from different backgrounds. And I'd say right now, I, you know, I bump into people, it's maybe 50, 50 out there mm-hmm. of background coming from fine art or, or other art styles into street art. And some people coming from graph in there. What's been y'all's experience in terms of um, the background of other artists you've, uh, you've run into. The, uh, the people that I've run into and I've, I, you know, again, in Texas, it was a, uh, Definitely a more cutthroat uh, experience than it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I, I know I've told this story to people before where you know, artists that I've worked with or that I knew very well, if I would invite them out to paint for the festival, and of course, we did everything we could to treat them and pay them and put them up in nice hotels and all that, everything would go great until we had to start talking brass tacks. And they'd mm-hmm. be like, then they would back off me. And I'm like, dude, it's me. You know me. We've done this before. You know, why are you so apprehensive, but it's because they've been burned so many times out there. Mm. But then coming out here to North Carolina and, you know, meeting you, Marty, it's like suddenly it's a golden world and everybody in Texas is like, can we come out and visit? It's like, yeah, please come <laughs> out and visit. Uh, but most of the people I meet have, uh, you know, I, I can't say like they don't have an MFA in painting or anything like that, but they have an art background. But it seems like a lot of people just went out there and just started pushing the paint until they figured it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And me being the total like chemical technical geek that I am, Mm -hmm. it's like (laughs) the idea of going, Oh, I'm going to go spend, you know, $500 in paint just so I can sit there and learn this one technique is tough for me. So that's why I'm probably the slowest of any of, the people here in Greensboro. But. I'm slow too. <laughs> well, yeah, you got a huge wall. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Well, you know, that's why I've been trying to do with the uh, loft and have the supplies there. Mm-hmm. And right now we've got a pretty good selection of cans out there. Mm-hmm. With uh, We've consolidated most of the cans in. And I just agreed yesterday to buy um, all the inventory from Buddha's Belly. 
Oh, nice. So we'll add in all of those cans. Cool. And then we'll take the um, the uh, designer cans, the specialty cans, and use those on a display in the loft somewhere. Oh, nice. And then take a lot of the markers and the rest of that, put that in inventory until um, my plan is to do a graph shop down at Tracks. Right. Mm-hmm. And have a shop there. What I really want to do is just have enough inventory. So I'd like to have 10,000 cans down there. And have that way, when y'all need a color or a can, we know we have it. And we maintain a par level for that. And then have a way to take that and put that into a database online so that you could actually just see online what's there and if it's in stock. And then if you reserve it, you you know, you reserve it right there and then we pull it and then you Mm -hmm. have it. And maybe even look into delivery. So if you're out on a job, and you need 50 cans that we can actually deliver those cans oh, to. That'd be so nice. Because <laughs> I think that's one of the things that people are frustrated by. They, yes. You know, you're going around, you're hunting for paint, you're looking all over the place. Yeah, driving to Raleigh. Yeah, I've driven to Raleigh before <laughs> for like 50 cans. Or, or you have to drive to Charlotte for cans mm-hmm. and all different pricing. And you don't know if it's going to be there when you get there. And it's just... Um, you know, so the graph shop for me isn't really about serving the public; it's about serving the artist. Right, right, and I appreciate that. So, so when it, when is this happening? <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna have our own graph shop effectively out at the loft, probably right, yeah. uh, the sixth. Well, is cool. When we start moving paint in. That's awesome. Have Have you organized that paint room yet? Yeah, because I know you had all those cans everywhere. No, okay, so I got to organize. So between now and the sixth, I have to organize all those cans. Well, I mean, my intern and I were talking about doing it for you. So, oh, sweet. So yeah. 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 Give us something to do. Oh, you know? Yeah. Thank you very much. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, because, well, you let us use the loft, you know, so I took my yeah. intern, Natalie, Natalie Robinson. I took Natalie to the loft with me and I was teaching her techniques and we're just like literally scribbling on the wall. We're going to cover that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's there for. It's just like literal, like actual scribbles, like all over the wall. Um, Just because I was teaching her like you know, keep the can level to the wall, keep it the same distance. And I'm teaching her how to, and she's left-handed too. So this has been interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> so I'm teaching her with my right hand, you know, and she's working with her left hand. <laughs> you know? It's you almost cool. like a mirror or something. I to, know. To yeah. Yeah. But I mean, she gets it. She's getting it. It's, it's just, you know, it's going to take a little time because she's, you know, fine art background too. So. Well, if you nice. restocked, I definitely got to come back out and visit again. Cause I'm all these Baroque colors. I think the last time I went out there was all these, super electric street colors. I'm like, well, I can't use anything but the black maybe. So yeah, I grabbed a couple of cans mm-hmm. of black. Uh, yeah. So we're adding 305 uh, gold cans. Nice. Um, and he's got on here like 153 black cans. And no, 153, 94 cans. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know how many Montana black it looks like i can probably remember the exact colors that buddha's belly had left whenever he closed because like, it's a bunch but it's a bunch of cans and then a bunch of markers caps there's a bunch of colors that i didn't need at the time that's why i remember what they were it's like the the only colors that i needed he didn't which are, have are usually the colors that i want right yeah <laughs> i guess you're right yeah. <laughs> and then a bunch of the artist cans which would be neat too so those would be on display yeah. in the um, gallery room yeah, those dis- those cool. those cans are great. Yeah, one of my goals in life is to to have my artwork on one of those cans. It's gonna happen. We should just start making them up, like making them and sticking them on there. I know, mean, we doing could. Our own little Why not? Cans. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, we could, we should make Coda Street Art cans. 
Oh yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, you should you should That's ask Marty. Key, make your own brand going. of make your own brand of paint. <laughs> oh my god, genius! <laughs> that'd be fun. Well, you know, we've got Sherwin Williams here. Maybe they would partner up to do some some uh, sponsored cans. Hey, maybe maybe they're you know they're they're cool people. They're a low stock of uh, paint still, you know, since COVID, but I think they're working on it. So right now it looks like, you know, Jerry's has got maybe, let's call it 4,000 cans over mm-hmm. there, I think, somewhere in that yeah, range. Yeah, Jerry's has a lot. They usually are stocked up. Got a, a good-sized paint room. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll move up. I think now with the cans we have and the cans we're getting, we'll have close to their inventory levels mm. out at the loft. And I've got to, you know, figure out how to kind of manage, um, you know, because we haven't had it abused much, but a couple times some artists have been a little... Mm. Uh, heavy-handed with uh, loading up their uh, vehicles when they're headed out of town. <laughs> so, some artists, yeah, I can see that. That's um, why I like people when they fly in. They're not taking it back out. Hey, there you go. <laughs> and then you and, have the nice people like, uh, oh. Uh, well, like y'all. Yeah, I mean, I know. And that's oh, what, what I, it's I always undergrab. It's like, I'm like, yeah. oh, man, I should just grab two more cans. I need two more cans. Yeah, I always give back more than I probably should. <laughs> Because I'm like, I think this was his can. I don't know. I'll just give it back. The goal is to have, you know, all these different colors because you might just need a touch of a can. Mm -hmm. You don't need the full can. And then that way you're not limited to just, you know, 20 crayons in the box. You've got, you know, 500 crayons to pick from and you can use what you need. Yeah. I use so many colors too. It's kind of annoying how many colors I use. I have like 300 cans in my car right now. Like no joke for this one painting that I'm working on at the Elks Lodge. I'm in my mother's car today, yeah. and there's two cans in the car right now. And it's like, it's my mother's car. <laughs> I don't know why I have two cans in her car. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of uh, places you go for supplies, so you go to Jerry's mm-hmm. or went to Buddha's Belly for right. stuff yeah. there. I miss Buddha's. Where else do you shop for uh, spray paint and supplies? I can't remember the name of the place, but there was this cool little shop. In Greenville, South Carolina, mm. like they had these little like half half can cans, mm. uh, and just weird little colors. Uh, but I only went in there once, and uh, you know, so that and then of course, oddly enough, you know, Hobby Lobby has Iron Lack and usually has they it on do. sale. They do. They're always on sale, and they're they're, they're always they're always on clearance sale. So they're five ninety nine a can, which is a really good price comparatively to like. The other cans. Then again, Iron Lack is, it's, it's not as good of a paint as like Montana Gold or 94, you know, in my opinion. Um, but I do like some of their colors. But like they they have like maybe a selection of, I don't know, 10 different colors, like nothing crazy. Um, every once in a while, you'll find a transparent, you know, transparent black, transparent white. Like that's, yeah. what, I, that's mm-hmm. what I look for. I look for those um, if they have them, but yeah. My goal with the uh, craft shop is, well, one, we've got it out at the loft. So, I mean, worst case, we've got a stock there. And so my plan is to stock up, have the paint that everybody needs. And that way I'm not having to run around and try and find the paint or buy it and know that I've got it. Um, that way I've got it at the at the loft. Right. But then to do a graph shop over in tracks and have that available, including after hours access to and that's it. That's a perfect spot to like, that's yeah. closer to everyone and everything. Like my opinion, like I, I loved Buddha's belly so much. I just always wished it weren't like a more convenient location for me. Yeah. You well, I mean, it made sense with the art park, but if you weren't working in the art park, right. 
then yeah. you were kind of like, well, yeah. Okay. And I live just outside of Greensboro, like on your way to Burlington. Uh, so it's like, uh, it's only like 15 minutes from downtown, but it would have been a lot closer for me to just go downtown gotcha. to get a can. You know? well, and going to Jerry's, you're right on the highway. So right, I that's think true. For, for people coming from Raleigh or Charlotte, they're in a good, Jerry's is in a good spot. I do like how Jerry's is right off the highway. It is in kind of like a weird little sketch area next to this bar that's like, it's open, but there's never anyone there. I'm well, like, what Cupid's is this like? Corner a, and with the like, burnt out sign. Yeah, it's really creepy. It's, yeah. <laughs> so did I tell you all about taking Bellafame over there one time? No. No. So we're driving down the highway. We're going to Jerry's and we're on 40. And I hear what sounds like a car backfiring in front of us. Oh, geez. And it's not. <laughs> I realized very quickly, I tell them to duck down because it's shooting. Oh my God. Two cars shooting at each other, driving on the highway? On highway. Oh my God. And so we veer off onto the off ramp and I tell them to duck. And then this weird car at the top of the ramp reverses down at high speed and stops in front of us. And I was like, oh my God, you know, we're, we're going to have this, this person shoot at us right in front of us. So we sped off, and I don't know if they were part of the same group or if they were undercover police or what was going on. So um, what are some of your, uh, if you could wave a magic wand this year, um, what are some projects you would like to do? And also, what are some thoughts on how we can elevate uh, Coda Street Art to the next level, like the graph shop or bigger inventory or a symposium or different things. And well, if, Doug, if, you've been great about being part of Jen. I'm going to have to rope you into this too, because you're yeah. organized, but we need to, I'm trying to get a, a board set up for mm-hmm. Coda street art, because I want to make sure that it's around Doug with his, uh, his great genes will be around until he's 95. I don't know how long I'm going to last. Hopefully, plenty of time. You know, <laughs> I want to make sure that long after I'm gone, there's people that, are able to keep pushing that forward. I'm vegan and in my 30s. So, there you go. You're you know? going to be around for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I, and I've said this to you before. I, I think that what you've done here in Greensboro uh, and how it's extended out further in North Carolina is kind of uh, creating um, uh, a scene here mm-hmm. that wasn't. I mean, we're showing up on top 10 lists now. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, and if, you know. I've only been here four years, but talking to people who have grown up here and they say, oh, yeah, 10, 20 years ago, this is unheard of uh, for this kind of a a visual explosion for the arts. I think it's now it's just some things I think are beyond your control. I think somebody needs to come in with a blue chip gallery uh, or blue chip uh, museum of sorts. Maybe it's a not for profit. I don't know. But there needs to be something that attracts more artists, artists here because uh, we've got elsewhere and elsewhere is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still most people don't know about elsewhere. Uh, so it's like combination of you and elsewhere and Green Hill and Weatherspoon. Yeah, you know, it's like we all just need to sit at a table and talk, I guess, uh, because we've got the talent. Yeah. Uh, we've got the community. Um, but I just, you know, again, like, like I'm following everybody that mm-hmm. I meet here and, seeing like all these disparate pieces getting kind of put together. And it's like, you know, like even the uh, uh, arts GSO, it's like, why, you know, why are they not, you know, sitting here in this room with us right now? It's like, there's, there's all these hands out Mm -hmm. there, but we need to get all together and just kind of talk this thing out and figure out how to promote it. 
And uh, I, I talked to this uh, with the guys who do the podcast out of Raleigh, the uh, pencil pushers. I said, if you got the know-how to create a platform, uh, there was an entity in Texas called Glass Tire. And they connected everything in the state of Texas uh, as far as an art opening one. It didn't matter if it was Joe Bob's art collective or whatever. But you knew every art opening that happened uh, across the state. So you knew, oh, yeah, I'm traveling to Dallas. Click on the link. Mm. You knew every opening that was happening, every artist that was in town, uh, every opportunity. And that connected that state really, really well. Uh, and somebody's willing to do that. You know, the monetization of that would be fantastic. Uh, that's an area that I'm not going to go into because mm. I already have way too many interests that I have to explore further. But for me, I just think we as Greensboro, as a state, we all need to talk more. And sure. I think that's, what's going to really take us all to the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see some street art, um, focus galleries in major cities like uh, a New York or a Miami. But it would be nice to have something like that here. Yes. And I've thought about that at Tracks and part of it to do a gallery slash co-working space there. Well, you have a great so. space. And you uh, before COVID, you were putting a lot of shows on there, and that was fantastic. Yeah. And I know we've all had our opportunities to be in there. And I think COVID just kind of shut us all down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to kick that back into high gear because, yeah. uh, and we'll do some of that with uh, Stefan Smith coming to town from South Africa to do that. Ooh. He's going to do the largest oil canvas in the world, painted by a single artist in a single, um, not session, but, you know, in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And that he's going to submit that to the Guinness Book of World Records. That's cool. So, I mean, that's going to be a massive canvas. And he's got sponsors for that, for the canvas and the paint. But I'm actually going to have a good hookup then for artists we work with, like Mm y'all, with those uh, oil paints and with those canvases. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that's going to be a good collaboration. But to your point... You know, that's one collaboration out there working with these other groups and trying to activate the gallery, organize art. But, you know, we just need more of that collaboration right. to pull that together. Um, because a lot of the street artists, you know, you're, you're doing these great pieces on a wall, but then that's not really, other than the commission, mm-hmm. you're not selling that. So can we do canvases or can we do prints and how can we, find a way to help you monetize right. um, that artwork or other artwork uh, as well. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for how, how much, you know, street art has really been, you know, blooming over the past, I don't know, six years that I've been here. And I've really seen it like really come up. And a lot of that is because of the artists you, you brought in and, you know, you've hired me to do all this stuff and I'm grateful for that. And it's just, I really want to see this continue to grow. And I mean, when we hit that top 10 list and I knew I was a part of that, like that was so cool. cool. Like I was like, I am one of those artists, you know? Um, and, and I, I, I did my part to make this happen, you know, as well. And like, that's so cool, you know, to be a part of that. And especially to be a female in this, um, you know, in a male dominated field, you know? So yeah, really I think cool. two things, you know, I think we keep doing what we're doing, but, a, a symposium where we bring artists in where mm-hmm. it's not, I love the festivals and they're nice, but 
oftentimes they feel like they're more for the general public to come be entertained. Uh, right. And um, so, and it's hard for me to kind of tackle something like that with 20 artists in town because we just don't have enough staff to do that. And we've been doing everything with our own team mm-hmm. instead of having to rely on anyone else. But right. um, maybe there's an opportunity for other groups to participate and then help throw a uh, festival. Now it would require some other walls probably out there as well. Mm -hmm. And that's always challenging because, you know, a lot of property owners are very resistant to um, artwork that, that they don't significantly, significantly control on that wall. Yeah, that's true. And so um, you don't have that same artistic freedom when you have that same artistic freedom. It just, it's a lot more complicated. Right. And then getting the wall buffed or how long is that piece going to be up? And it's just, mm-hmm. it's a lot. And see, and we, in the small town in Texas where we did the uh, Texas Art Mu- uh, Music Festival, we kind of had that same kind of kickback. And of course, we we're dealing with, you know, 1800s buildings. So everybody's like, you know, you're destroying the history. And it's like, well, honestly, the paint actually is preserving this building better than the, you know, anything else. Yeah. And the longevity of it is, you know, I'm not looking at something that's going to last 100 years on that wall. Uh, the idea is to kind of keep rotating through every, you know, in that particular instance, every five to 10 years we rotate through. And so we would have building owners that would be very upset. You know, like, well, this is really not a piece that I would like. Uh, and we would just, you know, say, it's a fan favorite. Can we please keep it up for another year? And then, like, okay, one more year. Cause they knew that it was going to get painted over eventually. Uh, but that's, it's that whole thing of you know putting art in the public sphere as opposed to in a museum. Uh, that's the wonderful, you know, twist about street art. Uh, and I think that's the hard thing for uh, a, you know, a building owner that's not in this, you know, doesn't have the love for street art that you do mm-hmm. uh, to them to wrap their you know, minds around like, okay, well, you know, it's just paint, you know, I, I give somebody my wall for three years and if I don't like it, I can paint over it again or mm-hmm. two years or even one year or like in the pit, you know, three mm-hmm. months, I can paint over it again. Or three days. You know, <laughs> three days. <laughs> that's probably one of the biggest struggles right now is in this environment where people are very easily offended or they feel like mm. they should have more control. So the yeah. cancel culture cancel culture world meets uh, the Karen's uh, Mm -hmm. world, uh, Karen's and Ken's world out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then you, you get people that feel like they should control what's on the wall. You know, we had that up in Eden, people that didn't own the wall, had no input, weren't sponsoring or anything feeling like they should have a say. And you get people that say, Oh, well, gosh, you've done something that's offended me. You need to paint over it or take it down. Um, It's uh I think if there's one problem in the world that I'm probably most concerned about other than nuclear war with uh, Russia right now is um, this limiting freedom of expression, freedom mm-hmm. of artistic expression, and freedom of speech, where people are uh, wanting to control others' art or speech and and limit that. And I see that as a real, really scary prospect out there. And yeah. I don't know. What are y'all's takes on? Yeah, that's, uh, I think, I think that artwork should be offensive. You know what? I think that your artwork should offend at least somebody, you know, in order for it to have an impact. You know, 
I mean, like, you know, like uh, my professor in college, you know, he would always talk shit and he'd be like, yeah, all these conservative places and all want these fucking flower paintings. Like, why do they want, you know, just just all flowers and butterflies and fields and whatever and, you know, landscapes. It's like, like, do, do some nudity, do some something crazy, do something kind of politically offensive. You know, um, it's not artwork unless it speaks for something or someone. And I, I feel like that's super important. And it, it, if our artwork is controlled one day for whatever reason, and we're told we can only paint this, this, and this, that that will destroy our creative input. And, and we're going to lose everything. I, you know? I will agree and disagree. Because, uh, again, coming from this kind of career where I've mm-hmm. been putting a lot of paintings in galleries, got pieces in museums, blah, 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 is that, I see street art as kind of the appetizer to bring somebody into a gallery or into a museum setting because, you know, we're beyond that now. Like everybody sits around scrolling on their phone all day. Mm. It's like I've got instant gratification. Why do I want to go to a museum? You know, and I don't understand it. It's all too obtuse for me. Whereas when we go out into the public and put something onto a wall, then we have now entered into their space, whether they want it or not. Mm. And so the idea is to create something artistically with merit that is also challenging, but also just reserved enough Okay, that they're like, well, I maybe want to know a little bit more. Maybe I will go explore their website or their Instagram. Maybe I will go to a museum. So, the way I've embraced it, especially with COVID, is like, this is my opportunity to talk to people because normally mm-hmm. it's me. I paint in my studio and then right. it goes up on a wall somewhere and I get to talk to them at the opening and that's mm-hmm. it. So now it's like I am in the public face and they're either going to like it or they're not going to like it. But because I'm out there on the wall mm-hmm. physically, they can ask me questions. Yeah. And get some converts, hopefully. Yeah. Sometimes that can be fun. You know, people talking to you on the street. Other times, you know. Not so much. Well, um, nobody's he, thrown beer cans at me yet. No, so. nobody's thrown anything at me yet. <laughs> They've said some words though, because I did the whole like George Floyd painting during the oh yes during the protesting, and you know most people were so supportive. Like people were coming up to me and hugging me, and this is during COVID, so I was very uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> but um, there were people like crying about it. They were so excited and very happy, and like it was it was insane. Like. 5,000 people were protesting one day and they all stopped in front of the mural and like there were people like crying and like they bowed down to it essentially. And I'm just staying there like, uh, <laughs> like what do I do? Um, then I'm, I'm, I'm practically crying too. You know, it was, right. it was just like a very emotional thing, but there were a couple people that walked by that were like, not for what was going on, you know? And they would like, they were, I'm not going to say what they said, but they, they were talking some mad shit, you know, walking by. Oh, and it was, I believe it. So, when you face some criticism and because it was you painting it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've gotten that too. Um, cause I'm just some basic white girl, you know, painting George, George Floyd, you know, um, but that was my way of, of, uh, that was my way of protesting. That was my way of standing up and, and, you know, trying, trying to help the cause be there for the cause and everything. And I don't know. I was just, just trying to do do something good and then people try to sometimes people try to spin something good into something bad just because they're haters and you and I both know who we're talking about but we're not going to name any names but um yeah the so much has happened with that piece since then 
it's it's a long story. I'm not even going to get into it. But uh, I think a lot of times people have an yeah. agenda on that, and you know, the hate is a um, is something they're doing for other reasons or other mm-hmm. motives out there. Yes, and like they want to get somebody canceled because it's kind of like on Yelp if you. You have two restaurants and, mm. you know, one kind of bashes the other, then that person's uh, score goes down and therefore they're more likely yeah. to be number one. And I've, I've just never understood that. And I think the the people that I tend to surround myself, m- myself with are people that want to lift their friends up right. and want, you know, cheer on somebody's success out there. Even if they're rather, more successful. Yeah, yeah, rather than wanting to drag them down. Right. And... And again, I think we're we're in this weird space and time right now where there's a lot of wanting to kick the dog, a lot of wanting to drag somebody down to a, a level, drag somebody down to lift themselves up. Mm-hmm. That uh, that isn't really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dragging somebody down isn't going to make you any more talented. Yeah, exactly. You know, let's just throw that out there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anything, you find somebody that's better, um, you want to learn from them. Absolutely. And befriend them so that you you can um, benefit from their mm-hmm. knowledge. And th- and they'll help you if you're a nice person. But if you're not, they're not going to help you probably. And that's why I always answer people when they ask me questions about you know art and stuff. How do you get so many commissions? What should I do? Do you have any advice for me? Like I've had real, actually really big YouTubers contact me and fairly recently, you know, and, you know, asking me like, how do you get commissions? And I'm like, really, you, you're asking me this? Like, I, I, I look up to you. Like, what are, why are you asking me questions? <laughs> but we all in the art community, the for the most part, from what I've experienced, most people in the art community are very receptive to like, you know, questions or, um, you know, they'll, They'll always be there for advice um, because we've all been in the same spot where we're like, I don't know what to do. It's like, what do I, like everybody has to start somewhere. Right. You know? So Doug, you've done some, uh, a lot of edgy artwork out there. <laughs> and I'd say the uh, Zapata, you start getting, you, know, you start listing off the things you're not really supposed to talk about. <laughs> Politics, religion, sex, and Zapata got, starts delving in. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting on all nice. of them when you're out there. <laughs> So Zapetta started out uh, back when, gosh, was I still living in Austin? Yeah, I was still living in Austin. And I was watching what was going on on the West Coast. And I was seeing a lot of this kind of like like tiptoeing into erotica and big-eyed stuff like Mark Ryden. And uh, so I started, I had all these wet paintings. I was like, well, I can't work on these. So I just started doing my own big-eyed, sappy-eyed girls, but provocatively. And uh, really tried to get into that market. And I kept trying, I kept trying, and, you know, nobody was paying attention. You know, they'd be like, oh, you know, come back to us next year, stuff like that. Uh, But they were selling, you know, faster than anything else I was doing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, this is weird. It's like, this is not my main focus of work, yet it's selling. Uh, And then I had a big show in Houston and uh, with it uh, when I was in grad school. And uh, I think that was the first time my faculty actually understood what I was doing. They're like, oh, we get this. Why aren't you doing more of this? And I'm like, well, because you know, it's it's not my message. It's not what I'm trying to do. Uh, but it's still, there was a part of it that was. And so I put on a hi- uh, hiatus for a while. And then I started doing these photorealistic oil paintings of selfies. Uh, because brightest social media came out. Mm. I started seeing 
certain uh, trends that were happening. And I mean, I already knew the psychology, you know, that men were visual animals and women were situational. And I started seeing these, uh, uh, these people would post pictures and they were awful, awful photographs. And when I say people, I mean, women were posting these awful photographs, uh, seeking the male gaze out and like the flash would blow out the whole picture or there'd be toothpaste flecks all over the mirror. And I'm like, these are fascinating. And you know, I love painting people. I mean, mm-hmm. painting people is fun. Mm-hmm. Did you have one where the woman's taking a selfie and she's like posing with a gun, but like her baby's on the bed in the background yes. or something? Yeah. <laughs> with a bottle in his mouth. It's like, it's yeah. just. I bet somebody's done that. It's like people. Uh, no, he's he was basing these on real photos. I was right? going out and trolling oh, and taking wow. these. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'd find these really just bizarre images of people. Toilet photos. I've seen a lot of those. Yeah, I've got some of those. (laughs) And uh, I was just fascinated by the ephemera around the figures. I got to paint the figure. That was great. But then it was the stuff around it. Like, you know, why do you have a roll of duct tape in your bathroom or, you know, stuff like that. Clearly they're not artists and they're not very observant. No, but see, again, that's where you get into the split of male versus female. Because painting male selfies is so boring Mm. because, you know, they're they're oiled up. They're posing yep. in the mirror. Their mirror's clean because they're looking at it as what they would want uh, yep. to see a woman do. Mm, okay. But women would not do it in the same capacity, usually. I mean, now, Instagram has changed that dramatically. Mm-hmm. Everybody cleans their mirrors now because of Instagram. But before that, that's what it was. And I was just like, this is great. And so mm-hmm. I, I farmed that for quite a while. Uh, and then the political stuff, yeah. I mean, I had a file. Uh, for the GOP headquarters in Washington County in Texas. They knew who I was by name, mm. had my address and my phone number. Wow. And it's all because I was just taking political signs and just you know using my vinyl cutter and changing things. Oh. Uh, and I knew that because someone who uh, ran a museum uh, there, a uh, heritage museum, went to go get some signs for me because he wanted, it's like, I need some signs to put in the museum for posterity, you know, 20 years down the line. And I said, well, you're going to have to go get them because they know me and they won't let me in. And then he goes into the place and he actually says, he texts me. He's like, dude, they know you by name and number and address. And I'm like, oh, I know. And they also know me in Fayette County and in Lee County. It's like, and all I was doing was just getting political signs, you know, but mm-hmm. I was, I was upsetting them so much. And then I think that really came to a, a head at one point where the largest 4th of July parade west of the Mississippi is in this place called Round Top. If you, if you watch Fixer Upper, that's where JoJo always goes and gets her stuff. And so the parade's gone, and the Trump-Pence float comes, and this guy on the back of the float turns, looks me in the eye, steps off the float, pushes my kid out of the way, <gasps> hands me a flag and shakes my hand and says, we at the GOP know who you are. And my kid looks up at me and says, what? We at the <laughs> what? And I said, it took me a while to process that, that – Wow, you know, I I didn't realize my political art was going out that far and fast that wow. here we are at this, you know, Fourth of July parade and they know me by name and by sight. Uh that's still attention. It is. And it's also a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, and you were nice enough to work with me on some of the uh, fun uh, billboards yes. and signs. Yes, yes. I, I feel uh. my job is secure. I can talk about those now. <laughs> so Marty had, uh, you know, for those people who demonize Marty, I mean, Marty's a really good guy. And he really looks out for not only his artists, but his employees. Agreed. And um, 
when COVID kicked in and he introduced me to like some far left people that were having a problem with a COVID protocol uh, and you know, what was open and what wasn't open. And he said, yeah, this is really disturbing me. Can you help me? Can we work together and use my electronic billboard and make some signs to go up to basically protest the fact that, you know, one company or one entity can be open, but another can. I think the big one was mm-hmm. like breweries could be open, but bars couldn't. And right. Yeah. The distinction really came down to who had the best lobbyist. Yeah. And you had bowling alleys. And bowling you know, alleys. Mm-hmm. Casinos that never closed. Centers, you know, they were open. Right. And different things that were open. Yeah, and casinos that weren't closed at all. And it, the science didn't make any sense. There was right. no, no sense. It was very random. I agree with yeah. you on that. And so, you know, Marty and I are, you know, we wake up at like four in the morning, you know? So there I am at four in the morning drinking coffee and I get a text from Marty. So I respond right back. It's like, so we bat things back and forth. And if he had an idea that I thought was too controversial or he had an idea or I had an idea that he thought was too controversial, it's like, let's let this one sit for a couple hours. And then usually one of us would text each other back later in the day and be like, okay, let's revamp this. <laughs> and uh, so I, there were some fun things we did on those billboards. That was fun. And, you know, and pulling in the uh, kind of Russian propaganda mm-hmm. style yeah. Uh, yeah. into that was really neat, too. Now, the Grim- Gremlins one was probably still the best. Yeah, Gremlins oh, yes. was good. The, the Gremlins one, one or the, the uh, curfews. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's funny running that, you really do see that people see what they want to see in artwork. Oh, uh, absolutely. And so some people saw one concept some people saw another concept and it was all across the board yeah you had troll people trolling from both sides of the political some aisle. of my haters were trolling and and being like why is he like putting all this stuff up anti-mask and i was like it's not about anti-mask marty wears a mask all the time like I he never my- takes it off yeah. like <laughs> I wore my mask everywhere. All my everywhere. team members did. Yeah, I, you know, I was forced in, to wear one. <laughs> yeah, we're putting in UVC filtration. I mean, doing everything. It was nuts. But we were doing everything right and still yes. we're being punished. And it's like, okay, right. you need to treat people based on how they're responding to this, not right. just right. treat, you know, it's just a lazy approach to say, okay, we're going to shut down yeah. all movie theaters, not, okay, you can reopen if you do bing, right. bing, 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 bing. See, yeah, and you would have done all of those yeah. things. You are, you actually, didn't you go out of your way to, like, rebuild Red Cinema to, like, have less seating in there oh, yeah. so that it would be more airy and comfortable for people? And then the city is like, well, no, you we're we're letting you open to, to a certain level of capacity per what you already have there. And you're like, well, I already changed it. Yeah, we, and, re- we oh, reduced seating awful. counts already. Yeah. We had the UVC filtration, all these different things. And it was just a, a lazy approach to governing that really resulted in mm-hmm. a lot of that. And that's why we did the whole, your governor's in control, listen yes. and comply. That's what it was about. Not anti-mask. Yeah. Come on, people. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we never ran one billboard that said uh, anything about masks. I know, but for, know. for whatever reason, some people, I'll tell you who it is later, but um, yeah, no, thought I that mean, that's what it meant. And I was like, no. No, that yeah. I mean, the haters out there label me as anti-masker, which... I'm not. No. And then they <laughs> label me as pro-Trump, which I'm not. No. <laughs> and I've gotten bashed by the GOP for uh, being anti-Trump. And, you know, and yet there's other people on the other side, liberals out there saying he's pro-Trump. It's just, you I know, know. it's kind of, I think that's one of the things is when you're independent, an independent thinker, mm-hmm. you get hate from both sides. Oh yeah. Right. Because you don't fall in one camp or another. And I think, 
that tribal sense is what concerns me mm-hmm. a lot these days is that Agreed. people get in a me bubble too. and they can't have a conversation like we're having. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't talk with anyone they, they disagree with. Mm-hmm. They have to just say, you either agree with me a hundred percent of the time or you're out of the, uh, we're pushing you out of the tribe. Right. You're, you're part of my, part of my team or you're not. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's going to lead to, you know, a lot less intellectual thought where people, you have to be willing to expose yourself to other concepts, other ideas, other thought patterns. Otherwise, you know, I just think you're stagnant and you, you become kind of dumbed down by limiting the information that you're exposed to. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's kind of, you know, you know, we have this conversation we're sitting around drinking coffee in the morning and, uh, my wife and I, and we, we talk about how, you know, people just don't want to get out of their bubbles. It's, I mean, so much just mm. scary shits going on in the world right now that if you, uh, if you allow yourself to feel everything, then you come overwhelmed yes. and you get in a fetal position and that's the end of your day. Uh, and so there's only so much you can handle. And what's, uh, oh, that guy from the office, John, Kraz, I can't pronounce his name. Oh, Jim. Yeah, Jim. Jim from yeah. the office where he put out that, what was it, the the nice network or something where it was all just, I'm just going to give you yeah, happy news for the day or somebody else was trying to put that out. And it's like, I appreciate that, you know, but there is just so much stuff that, you know, you need to be aware of mm-hmm. and it, it can be overwhelming. And so uh, if I'm going to come out and try to shake or break your bubble and you're like, I can't deal with that right now. I've got too much going on in my life. I can understand where that would be a very hard place to be. But, you know, obviously things are going on that are way beyond all of our controls, mm-hmm. whether you're left, right, middle or whatever. Uh, and so we have to get to that point of uh, polite dialogue again so that we can have these conversations to figure out, well, how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, one of the things I've been trying to get people to think about is, you know, feeling brave enough to break outside those bubbles. Because I think some of the reason people don't is if they're in this bubble, let's say on Facebook, and there's a, a thread out there and somebody's bashing on one topic and someone stops and says, hey, well, you know, maybe we should think about this. Then they become the target of the of the mob. It's like the angry mob out there is against something. But then if you veer from that at all, you right. become a target of the angry mob. Oh, and Reddit's mm-hmm. the worst. Oh, yeah. And Twitter. I'm about to give up on Twitter. Twitter is just full of mean people, I think. <laughs> yeah, a lot I of mean people, I think it's all mean yeah. tweets. I mean, there's no the, – the happy tweets are about gone on there. I follow a lot of comedians on Twitter. <laughs> I do too, actually. Um, it, just makes, it just makes me happy because like, I'll just get, like, little things from, like, um, Jason Alexander. Like, he always has something funny to say, you know. Um, but then I also follow, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's always talking about how the world is going to end, you know, because of global warming and things, you know, because he's a huge – you know, environmental activist, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's about who you follow. So maybe just unfollow some people, you yeah. know? So what, what would be some advice you'd have for people? Y'all are both comfortable being independent and uh, not conforming with what other people expect mm. you to do and not, not just being in one little limited sphere where you're not uh, open to other ideas. What advice would you have for someone that wants to become a maverick that wants to, 
be more independent and, and develop that uh, approach. Know your shit. I mean, quite honestly, like if you, if you got something to say, you need to research the hell out of it before you open your mouth. Uh, because you're like, we just said, you know, everybody's going to attack you from every corner. I mean, that, mm-hmm. That's what undergrad and graduate school taught mm-hmm. me was, you know, how people dogging on me 24 seven until I could defend myself, uh, which I thought I was pretty good at before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's whatever your craft is, you learn it and you master live it, it, you master it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have your good argument, you know, and you know when to back down, you know when to say, I disagree, you know when to say, I'm sorry, or I'm out of my element, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Humility is a great thing, but I think deep down the whole thing is if you don't know what you're doing uh, and you're going to engage in something that's controversial or on the edge or maverick behavior, uh, then you're going to get a lot of pushback that may be uncomfortable. So really for me, it's know your shit. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I think, you know, you've got people that, and maybe that's why sometimes people feel more comfortable trolling or commenting online because they can just Google something. Yeah. They don't know. Mm-hmm. But you put them, you know, you put them in a room and they don't have that, um, that resource at hand. Right. And they're just live chatting with people. And it's interesting to see some people that are the keyboard cowboys out there, mm-hmm. uh, like we like to call them. Eric Mangan uh, did a, a piece, painted a piece that's in the loft that has a keyboard cowboy mm-hmm. uh, element to it. But I think sometimes people feel emboldened when they're sitting there at their keyboard and they've got Google readily available oh, yeah. and then they post out there because they don't necessarily even know it. They know enough to refute maybe. Um, they'll Google and see right. what someone said to refute. I don't even know if that's an accurate assessment or not. They'll just do it. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think knowing your information and researching and learning and seeking to learn mm-hmm. and being open to learning new things, even if they're from someone that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. And and then you got to kind of vet and make sure that person really isn't just BSing you, that they, they know what they're talking about too. But um, gaining more knowledge is critical to – being able to have more independent right. thoughts. Definitely yeah. be a lifetime learner. Mm-hmm. Jenna, what about you? Yeah. Um, well, I, I was thinking uh, less along the lines of like the political standpoint, you know, thing. Cause when it comes to politics, I just keep my mouth shut. I listen. I don't really put much input of my own out there. I just, I just don't. Cause I, I, it's not that I don't care about it, but it's not like one of those top things for me. Paper you bags know? or plastic bags, Jenna? Paper. Okay, then. I do say paper. But I will use plastic if that's all that's available. There you go. And I don't complain about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think sometimes on politics, too, people are arguing over something where they're never going to change the other person's mind. Right. And so then you have to wonder, well, why why have the argument? I mean, if you're not going to change the other person's mind, you're not going to change your mind. You're both not open to changing your mind. okay, so... We're, the three of us are sitting in this room. We're having a conversation, and that's much different than being mm-hmm. on social media. Because yeah, on right. social media, most of the people are uh, uh, non-participating mm-hmm. people. They just watch, right? Yeah. And so, a friend of mine who's part of a large group in back in Texas uh, on Facebook uh, as one of their moderators, uh, he came to me one time and said, "Why are we doing this?" And I said, "Well, the people we're debating, we're never going to change their mind, but..." There are plenty of people out there who want more information that just don't know how to ask for mm-hmm. it 
or feel comfortable engaging. I mean, we can take this right back to street art. You know, if we start putting stuff out there that's more engaging and not just flowers and butterflies and stuff like that, then those people who are just on the sidelines watching and paying attention, then, then they get that opportunity Mm -hmm. to get that input and go home and hopefully mull it over and come up with an opinion. Yeah. Starts a conversation, that sort of thing. For me, I like, um, I like listening. I like listening to different people's opinions and just kind of like taking it all in. Um, at this point in my life, I've, I've realized that people are who they are and you can't change who they are. So why fight somebody to believe something that you believe True. if they're not from your same background They're they're They could be, have a completely different background from you. They could have a similar background from you and still have a different belief, but I, I accept people for who they are, even if they're complete shitheads and I don't like them. I just, I accept them for who they are and I move on with my life. Cause I'm like, there's nothing I can do to change the shithead that you are. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've, I just read something the other day and of course I'm horribly paraphrasing this. It goes back to basically uh, St. Jerome mm-hmm. where he basically said when, when you, you know, and I'm again, horribly paraphrasing here, like, you come across somebody that just the mere sight of them makes you vomit. Like mm-hmm. everything about them upsets you and everything about mm-hmm. your being. That's the person you should make as your friend. Mm, okay. You know, that's, that's the right thing to yeah, do. All right. I see that. Doug, I'm curious to, to, to know like your, your, your ultimate artistic I, goals. I don't know. I'm pretty fluid right now. Uh, you know, COVID, if nothing, has proved that uh, the plans that I had before need to be altered and mm-hmm. altered almost daily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think you know, my whole being is about communication. And so you know, I definitely would like to get more artwork spread out through the state and outside of the state just to get that communication component going a little bit more strongly now that I'm East Coast instead of, you know, mm-hmm. Texas. Um, I know that, you know, again, I've got good genes, uh, but you know, maybe 10, 20 more years of, you know, public, you know, street art still in me, you know, hopefully more. Absolutely. Um, but it would be nice to have that little bit more stability as far as, you know, the easel paintings go Mm -hmm. or just, you know, making any kind of art that, you know, communicates, uh, so I guess my goal is now that the world's starting to open up is just spreading out throughout the state mm-hmm. and even out of the state, mm-hmm. whether it's, again, street art or whether it's gallery or whether it's just shaking hands with people. Mm-hmm. I miss shaking hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like, I, I meet clients now and, you know, it's Let's like I'm not really sure ball. if they want to shake. But a lot of them will shake my hand now. But um, for a while there, like, you know, for a year or two, it was like, do I try to shake their hand? Do I wave at them awkwardly? Do I, you know, fist bump, you know? (laughs) So so what about you? I mean, now you're, you know, it seems most of your career is, is street art, but are you, you going back to the easel anytime soon? Well, um, 32 years old right now, still kind of figuring stuff out, I guess, you know? Um, but I just see this huge opportunity and another reason why I wanted to get into street art, um, is I just saw this huge opportunity in, in traveling with it. Um, I really want to expand my business and travel the world and paint beautiful pieces all over the world. Like that's my goal. 
that is really one of the mm-hmm. more appealing parts about street art is right. being able to just travel. Yeah. I mean, granted, you get there and it's like you don't really get to experience it too much unless you've got, yeah. unless you've scheduled it that way. Right. You know, there are other, there are people from other countries that follow me, you know, and I, I would love to eventually go paint in Thailand or, you know, go out to Greece or some, right. you know, all these different cool places that I've always wanted to travel. There, there's just so much opportunity there. You know, you could, um, you know, a friend of mine one time gave me this idea and he's like, he's like, well, here's an entrepreneur kind of idea for you. He's like, how about, he's like, say you want to go paint in Bali. He's like, call up their airport, tell them that you are willing to paint them a, a, a mural for free at their airport. If they just give you the airfare, you know, like that, I mean, that's a sick deal. They would think it's a sick deal for them, right? you know? So it's, it's like making little trade-offs and just to get there. And when you're there, you know, you, you show people who you are, they see your work, um, you can go to different places and just, just put, put your name out there. Uh, you know, thankfully I'm a social person. So I'll go out, I'll go up and talk to anybody and be like, Hey, I'm Jenna Rice. I want to do this, you know? And so there's that. And also I want to, I want to teach people, you know, and I know, you know, you're, you're teacher, professor, right. you know, it's like, and I know you enjoy that too. I just, I just love seeing progression in others, you know, from, from learning through me too. Like it's just, it, it just makes my soul happy, you know? And have you tried any of the uh, festivals around? I haven't. And applying for them? I mean, I that haven't. might be a great yeah. chance for you to travel and paint. Oh, yeah. And uh, let some people see your work. Yeah. Certain musicians, actually, a certain like uh, bands and things, they follow me on Instagram. This one, uh, this one group called Hippie Sabotage. I love them. Um, they're really big and they travel all over, all over the world. And, um, I was using their music in a lot of my Instagram reels, um, including the one here, I believe. And, uh, so they, uh, they actually started following me and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I was like, maybe this is an opportunity for me to reach out to them and maybe paint something during one of their shows, you know? Um, so that, yeah, that's a really good idea reaching out to some festivals. Cause as I said before, I've only been to one music festival. We were talking about that earlier. Um, yeah, we're just some around the uh, the country too, mm-hmm. because you. I think what's neat when you meet, so you can do that to travel somewhere else, but then meeting artists from different cities, including a lot, a lot of the ones that have come here, then you have a connection mm-hmm. when you go to that town. Right, you've got somebody that is an artist there that can help you connect with you know the local mm-hmm. resources, tell you where the graph shops to go to are, tell right. You, know what the rules are and who might be looking for someone to yeah. paint. That's another thing I love about the street art scene is, is the networking aspect. You get to meet so many cool artists that do so many different kinds of art and we all kind of come together and we all get along. We all understand each other, even though we do different kinds of art mm. and you know, we may believe different things and, but we just understand each other because we're artists and, that, and that's it. And, you know, we, we appreciate each other because we're artists. And I think that's beautiful. You know, it's like a, it's like math. It's like the universal language. <laughs> <laughs> now, where in the world, um, so if someone wanted to see more of your artwork outside of Greensboro or Eden, where would they see some existing pieces? Um, well, I have a couple pieces in Indiana. <laughs> believe it or not, Marion, Indiana, it's a tiny little town, um, tiny little spot. It was so random that, you know, I guess, um, the guy that hired me, he had some connections with some people here and I guess his mother lives in Greensboro or something like that. And, 
So he was traveling back and forth and asked somebody here who knew me, um, you know, what street artists they knew who might be interested. And so, um, so yeah, I went out there twice over the past couple of years, painted a couple of murals. Um, the last one was of Mae Jemison. She was the first um, African-American female astronaut um, to go into space. Yes, that was really cool. Um, so that was a neat one. It was like, yeah, it was about 55 feet tall, about 19 feet wide. It was a big one. Yeah, it was, it was fun though. And it just, just the experience of traveling and, you know, stopping in Ohio and Kansas and stopping all these different places. And it was really cool, you know? That was cool. Doug, how about for your work? Uh, well, I mean, obviously the, the murals that we've talked about here, but uh, if you want to go and ask, uh, I have pieces at the Museum of Fine Arts uh, in Houston. Mm. Uh I don't know if it'll ever be on a wall, but it's part of the collection. Okay. And I know you, I think it's part of the, I don't know if it's part of the photography or the drawing collection, but I know they have an open drawing collection. You can ask and they'll pull out whatever they have and mm-hmm. show it to you. Uh, I had big collectors in Thailand years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, I think they've got like eight pieces. Uh, and then of course all throughout Texas. And then uh, my brother's partner uh, is the director uh, or one of the directors, I guess. I don't know if he's the director of the Cheech Marin Center uh, out in California. And I know they've got uh, a lot of, you know, not the Cheech Marin, but you know, oh. Todd Wingate has a lot of my artwork, yeah. as does my brother. Uh, so I, it's, it's all over the place. Like I, you know, some, somebody in Chicago wanted a piece, you know, just the other day. It's like, well, okay, let's work this out. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of private collections, yeah. but the MFA would be the only public one. Um and then, of course, uh, my gallery, uh, unfortunately, is closing down in Greenville. Uh, but I may, another gallery is talking about picking me up in Houston. So cool. nice. Yeah. Once and that if, happens, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> Have either of y'all painted in uh, Wynwood? No. Um, I, I visited Wynwood and I traveled on a little bit. I actually, I, I didn't take the full experience in last time I was down there. I was distracted doing other things and then, you know, just being in Miami. Um, and I, I also painted a mural at a middle school I in Miami. That. Yeah. So I have a painting that I did there. And of course, knowing me and Marty, you know, this, I choose the most difficult thing that I could possibly do in the very short amount of time and just testing myself to see if I can do it. And of course I take forever to do it. Um, but I did finish it. Um, I still, I feel like I abandoned it almost, but I feel like I abandoned everything. Nothing's ever complete. It's all, it's always abandoned True. in my mind. It's Same never, here. it's never perfect enough, right. you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I spent more time painting than I did really exploring Wynwood. But I think my goal is if not this year, which hopefully this year I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a wall in Wynwood. I'm trying. Um, mm-hmm. I would love that. I would love, love, love that. So if you know anybody, Marty, let me know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it really felt like it was pretty spread out this year. Mm-hmm. You know, they went into downtown a lot more, a lot in Wynwood, and then they've been doing a lot of the schools uh, mm-hmm. all around as well. Uh, but they had a whole section um, over on the west side of Wynwood, on kind of northwest part of Wynwood, that was a huge group of female artists, probably mm. 20 or so female artists painting out there cool. uh, together, which was kind of a, a neat deal. Um, and then downtown, they had a whole variety. Um, Brian had a wall, big wall down there. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was just kind of exploring around. It was nice not to, you know, have to worry yeah. about it being my wall or my lift or right. You know, or oh yeah, I something. bet that must have been a breeze for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're usually the one like can like can having to control all the things and like here I am calling you like three times a day. I broke the lift again, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. So uh, I brought my drone around, and uh, that was neat to fly that around mm. some and capture some photos for people. Yeah, I didn't even see you down there. I was very disappointed about that. Yeah, we were was, both in Miami at the same time, and we, I was so busy, and you were so busy that it was just we just didn't. There's so much cross, going on. Down there was there. it was just insane. Yeah, you know, one of the big projects we've got going right now has uh, Victoria Benzine reached out to either one of y'all to talk. Recently? Not recently. Not no. recently. She's working on a um, trying to do kind of look at all the different ways that art intersects. So talking with artists, talking with curators, talking with photographers, talking mm-hmm. with website aggregators out there, uh, paint supply companies, and um, and kind of loop all that together mm-hmm. so that you understand how it all kind of works together. So when you, you paint the piece, you had a curator probably out there or sponsor. You've got a certain paint company involved. You know, when it's done, some photographer is going to come by typically and take a shot that you really like, or it's going to go on an aggregator site out there and be posted. And so all that kind of works together now to get the artwork exposed to as many people as possible. So we're talking with various uh, people in different buckets and understanding their relationship with the art and their relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. And so she's been... I've had her working for several months now on different projects, different pieces and research, and she's working on that. So um, she may be reaching out to you about that too. That's great. I love her. She's sweet. I really like her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. She's done a great job on She does great work too. And getting the the stories out there because that's the other part of it is you paint the piece. Okay. So now what happens? Did we get enough photos or video along the way? Is there an article about it or a story? And how do we push that information out so that you get the attention? Mm-hmm. And Paul has been great with that too, with oh, Glass yeah. Bear to film a lot of the uh, the videos for us. Well, let's put the question back on you. So how are your documentaries coming? Because I know you had a couple of documentaries ready to go right as COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got the main piece we did, and then we've got some updates to that to include. Mm-hmm. And um, I did the TED Talk. And we've just finished the final edit of that. So that should get posted soon. Yay, I want to see it. Yeah, it's going to be neat. Well, I was going to ask you about that, actually, after this. I was going to be like, so the TED Talks. <laughs> I've got the draft one, the latest draft. That's probably going to be the final. Oh, cool. But it, um, you know, my goal with that was just to give y'all a tool so that when you're talking to a city or another developer, uh, how do you convince them? Because that's the hardest part. How do you convince them to kind of buy into street art, but then... Once they're bought in, how do you convince them not to make it an ad or mm. so controlled that you can't paint what you want there? Right. And give you more artistic freedom uh, mm. to work. So hopefully that will be a tool that you, you'll be able to use. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you for doing that. That's great. Well, thank you all for participating in my second podcast. It's only the second Woo. time I'm doing this. and <laughs> Well, thank uh, you for having us. This has been fun. It's been a great time. It's always fun sitting around chatting with with you and, guys, and right? I hate to take these headphones off because the world sounds so great in uh, these headphones. I sound so much better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
It's always fun for me to have a conversation with street artists because I, I truly do believe they are all mavericks. They are taking on this outdoor art that puts them in the public eye and requires them to deal with public criticism. Uh, and oftentimes they enjoy the challenge of challenging the public and pushing back and getting people to think. And again, that's kind of like this podcast, the idea of getting people to think outside the box, to form their own thoughts and opinions, and to, uh, to have interesting and difficult conversations voicing their opinions. I'm excited to see what Jenna and Doug come up with next in their artwork. Their art is ever-evolving, and it is always something that makes you think. If you get a chance to visit Greensboro, make sure to go to our website. And the website is simply codastreetart.com. There's a downloadable map there, and there's more information about each one of the artists. And I'd encourage you to just go around and check out the artwork. See for yourself what all this graffiti street art is about and see how impactful it is. I'm going to continue to try and support street artists and help them achieve their goals because it's something that's uh, important to me. And I feel like it has this impact on a variety of other people. People see the art uh, in person. They take a photo. They post on Instagram. And it has a chance to brighten other people's day all across the world. And what they do with the spray can is really phenomenal. So again, go check it out for yourself and let me know what you think. In future episodes, I've got a lot of other street artists that will be on the show. So if you like this episode or you're interested in street art, please follow. And uh, you'll have a chance to hear more from other artists. I've already recorded several that are in the, uh, in the bag already. And uh, hope that you're enjoying the podcast. Would appreciate your feedback and any thoughts you have for how we can improve it. Thanks and have a great day. 